Welcome to Bourbon Sauce, where we discuss topics and get sauced on bourbon in the process. Grab your favorite bourbon and join us for the show. This week, we have two guest speakers, Special Forces Sniper, Trey, and Career Infantryman, Jackson. Hang on to your seats. This should get interesting. Before we get into it, guys, which bourbon are you sitting on? Trey, why don't you tell us what you're drinking? All right, I got, I got Horse Soldier right now, and uh, I really enjoy it. Appreciate those guys that actually did it. I've met some of them and worked with a nice. Them, so. And uh, Jackson, what do you what do you got over there? Oh well, I heard Matt was going to drink my favorite bourbon today and try it out, so I had to do something different. So I did the High West, and it's out of Park City, Utah. It's a bourbon. It's not bad. It's a which which High West is it? Because I know they got like three or four different types. The one that says high west bourbon on it because i saw the rye and then the whiskeys but it was bourbon sauce so i figured i'd get the bourbon perfect one. no and if I, and if i had to loser here but if i had a choice i would uh like kind of my go-to all time is just number seven jack daniels ah that's a good one that's a good that's a good choice ryan what are you drinking over there sipping on some bighorn bourbon whiskey from uh willie's distillery out in wyoming uh, or actually, I think it's in Montana. Yeah, but uh, Enos, Montana. Did you say penis, Montana. Montana? Enos. Oh, Enos. Enos. Okay. No, Enos. No penis. No, it's Enos like anus, but it's no a. No. Well, that's why Jackson lives there, right? Exactly. Because there's yeah, a lot of penis. Yeah. I mean, anus. Right. Well, I wasn't. Yeah, see, he's in Wyoming. <laughs> he's across the border. But uh, I gotta say, I'm. Uh, this is the first bourbon he's recommended that I've enjoyed. Oh, interesting. Um, I mean, he's only ever recommended one other, and uh, it was Four Roses, bottom shelf, twist top style. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, it was right up there with, it was just a step above the fighting cock, in my opinion. Yeah. That... But this uh, Bighorn Bourbon Whiskey, I... Uh, Not bad, huh? I, I definitely can see me drinking on this one. Oh, okay. Well, we're going to have to get import another bottle, and, you know, we'll just... We'll get stock of it. It's there's very some, smooth. There's some good ones in here, too. It's, it's yeah. very smooth. Uh, myself, I'm doing the... Eagle the, Rare. Yeah, the Eagle Rare is really good. Myself, I'm doing the uh, Kentucky Owl, the Confiscated. It's one of the sweetest, tastiest bourbons I've had in a long time. That shit's dangerous. Yeah, and it is, it is dangerous. I. You're going to have to after that one. I promise. We'll pour you some. It's really good. Um... But, hey, Trey, Jackson, thank you guys for joining us. We're honored to have you both on our show. We can't wait to hear some of your input on today's topics. While we got you guys, I'd like to get some of our some of our listeners a glimpse into your lives as, as far as what you guys did. And then we're going to redirect, and we're going to talk about guns. Uh, and in today's episode, it's going to be called Half-Cocked and Definitely Loaded. So, in, in the spirit of those things... Trey, I have some really good questions for you, and, it, bud. and I'm looking forward to your answers. Which, cool. So how long have you been in SOF? Uh, essentially my entire career, unless you take out uh, the first two years that I was in the pipeline of like trying to be a uh, uh, SF guy. So we'll call it 14 years. 14 years. Okay, and did you come in the traditional way where you became an enlisted guy and, you know, went to infantry and then came in, or did you go a different route? <clears throat> I actually took a different route. <clears throat> I went, uh, 
I was in uh, Naval ROTC in college, went to North Carolina State University. And then um, through that, I met some Army guys that were in ROTC as well and then found out that there was uh, the 18X ray program so I could enlist right into the SOF community. And so went through, graduated college, and then didn't take my commission and just enlisted in the, uh, in the Army. So, so you did the 18X ray and just said, fuck it, full send. So yeah. is that, uh, that's kind of like high school to flight school kind of thing? Pretty much. And I would say besides the silly pilots like they were rotc instructors it's a mm -hmm. job that you do it's like this pilot when i told him that i wasn't going to take my commission he flopped down on a couch like a loser <clears throat> i was like are you kidding me well some of the other opposition that i got was actually uh my parents and because uh, they thought that like the prestigious point of the naval academy mm -hmm. or navy whatever it was something good and so they tried to get, or they did get me in front of one of the guys that was local. He was a, um, a special forces colonel. <clears throat> and so they thought that me sitting down in front of him with them, he was going to dissuade me from doing that. At yeah. the end of the day, he was like, oh, no, Trey knows what he's talking about. It's a great profession. He should do it. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So that's good. So uh, what is your what is your designation? 18 what? Yep. Currently, I'm an 18 Bravo. Okay. Uh, I'm, it's like a weapon sergeant. Okay. And what does that entail exactly? So generally you're um <clears throat> you're responsible for obviously all the weapons that are on the team, uh, outfitting the guys, but generally speaking it's more of like we call it an S3 function or an operations function. So with all the training and um uh the things that we do for ourselves and then whoever we're doing it with. Okay. That sounds awesome. Uh did you did you get to pick your language? Did you get to pick your your designation? Did like how did that work for you? Yeah, so uh, sort of is the answer to that. Okay. So you have to have a certain like intelligence level. It's this test, army test that you know it's. So it's an aptitude or, thing. It's an aptitude thing. That's <clears throat> it, D lab. Yeah, it's like a D lab or an ASVAB or something like mm -hmm. that. I don't know what it is, um, but either way. So, but at the time it didn't really matter. I wanted to. I thought that I wanted to go to Arab countries. So right. It's like I want Arabic, which is something that they were looking for anyway. Okay. And so um, I got Arabic because I was able to do it. It's one of the harder languages to learn, like Chinese or Mandarin or something like that. Yeah. I had the aptitude for it, so they're like, yeah, cool. Uh, you can do that. <clears throat> and then I also got uh, 18 Bravo is generally one of the easier MOSs mm -hmm. in Special Forces, though, like as far as like getting the qualification for it. Yeah. Um, like Delta would take uh, – Delta is a medic. That takes like a year. Yeah. Where Bravo takes three months, something like that. So call it that way. But either way um, – <clears throat> So uh, I got the MOS that I wanted, and then because I had some version of aptitude, I was able to also get uh, Arabic. And, and how often have you been able to use that language? Have you used it pretty extensively? or? Yeah. So I don't know how far you guys want me to get, get well, into I mean, this you know. one. Like, no, no that, that's not about a security clearance or any yeah. classified stuff. But uh, I don't even know even if your listeners are going to like this, but I actually really... This isn't yes. for the listeners, so you can just go down the rabbit cool. hole. It's cool. <laughs> it's cool. I actually really, really dislike knowing Arabic, and the funny thing is that I'm actually pretty good at it, too. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and so when I go overseas, I use it all the time. Okay. And I'm one of the probably the better speakers, um, and so the guys can, the uh, foreign people, you know, soldiers or whoever we're dealing with, mm -hmm. they generally kind of latch on to me just because. I'm actually fairly decent about talking through this thing. There's a right. There's a level we get tested every year, <clears throat> and the level goes from zero to three. Three being someone that can speak in like a university level 
mm-hmm. a polit- political level, right? And, ching, ching. and it comes with some money too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. However, come it's a requirement. An SF guy, the Army SF guy, has to have a language qualification. Right. Yeah. Do um, they all have to be at a level three, or is that just kind of preferred? No. The the in my I believe the level is one plus at the moment. Okay. So just so. if you can just barely speak it and get by, like just day to day language, like hey, where's the you know, bathroom? Like where's the weapons? Zero where's zero plus? And even all that stuff is actually pretty particular. So you'll be on that like zero plus. They have pluses and minuses okay. for all the numbers too. And one so, plus one plus is like you can read it and write it and speak it. Uh, just listen, it listen and speak. Listen and speak. Okay. Yep. <clears throat> so that's the one plus, right? Yeah. And so and I'm at a two. Another one plus would that is that. So one's probably just listening. Yeah. And the other no, one's writing. No, they're both. It's listening and speaking. Okay. Okay. So, so the writing doesn't factor in at all. No, you have to take another specific test for that. Okay. Ah. Interesting. I didn't know that. <coughs> yep. That's pretty cool. So if you want to do that, then you can do that. You get paid for that. Too, too, so how are you with writing Arabic? Do you write Arabic no, also? Or not, no? at all. Not, not at all. Not at all. So it's more just speaking and listening and, yep. and being able to 100%. understand. Yeah. So that way you minimize that language barrier when you guys have to go in somewhere and you're doing operations somewhere. So in my opinion, well, actually, it's not my opinion. It's been proven. Because, say, for example, seventh group, they know... Um, they know uh, Spanish. Mm-hmm. Well, they deployed to Afghanistan. Which is weird. So language is irrelevant. Right. Now, when I go over there to an Arabic country and I speak Arabic to them, you know, a lot of times they're like, oh, that's great. And then they want to speak Arabic to me. But at the end of the day, you just generally either have an uh, interpreter or you just go go do that. And people that do war fighting generally know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, most of us guys have been overseas. <clears throat> you normally know we have the, the pointy talkie, right? Yep. So yep, 100%. that's like a default thing uh, for those of us that don't speak the native tongue. But it's good to know that you were able to pick up that language and you've been able to use it and you've been successful with it to be able to oh, yeah. do your job in a, at a higher level. Yeah, 100%. Um, what was your first impression when you arrived from the 18 X-ray program and you finished everything to your first group your first battalion or whatever it was that you your first oda what was your first impression upon meeting those guys yeah so fortunately for me it's kind of like fortunate unfortunate so i went to what we have a b team it's a support team out of all the operational teams so i went to that first it's not the preferred technique but that's how i did it i had a really great team sergeant and some really good uh, senior guys on the on the team so my first impression was awesome however my experience was less than awesome okay because i spent pretty much that entire time or a year and a half there which you shouldn't have to do and then when i actually got to an operational detachment um i had to stay back for more language school while they deployed um and um and did uh unilateral things as opposed to working with partner force um and so i really didn't have a great career until 2017 call it 2017 uh and i and I uh, joined in 20, uh, 2007, so mm. I didn't really have, like, the best time of my career until 10, 11 years later. Interesting. So have you always been at fifth group? or <clears throat> Except for three years from uh, 2014 to 2017. Part of our job is you go be operational for a while, and then you go instruct for a so portion of time. Yep, and so I went to SWIC, and so okay. from 14 to 17, I taught at the, the level one sniper course, um, and which was pretty much renewed my love for the army if you want to say it that so why did you decide to go into the sniper or or when did you decide to go into the sniper school like for yourself to get the sniper tab 
<clears throat> well, I mean, 2012 is when I went. When or why did I decide to? I don't know. I guess I just always wanted to be part of the guys that are like performance. And then there was like, there was the level one of things. The same reason there's an urban combat school called Sephardic. Mm-hmm. And the same reason I went to both those schools in 2012. It's like that s- same reason or, you know, I just wanted to be the best. And that was the school for special forces guys or army special forces or green berets. That's what it was. So I was like, I want to try and fight for that. Okay. And then how hard was that to one get your leadership to say yeah we're we're on board and then how hard was it to complete that school <clears throat> so to get them to say that they were on board i think that can be different for me it wasn't that difficult okay uh, i did have to fight for the urban course mm-hmm. uh, there was another guy that had um that was signed up for the course um uh, and either way he was leaving the company and i was like well, if he's leaving, he's not going to be able to pass on that knowledge. So mm-hmm. is it cool that, that I go and take it from him, essentially? And uh, that made sense to my boss at the time. So I was cool. So I got that one. But as far as the sniper school, uh, I did a lot of work. Back in back when I went in 2012, you had to shoot into it, which means you had to make a group with, a, with an AR or an M4. Um, you had to make a sub-minute group with that with uh, – I think they were using 77 grand at the time, um, but it was with iron sights. So it was like you had to figure out how to shoot iron sights and, and shoot a sub-minute group. And so for our listeners that don't know what that means, that's 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 a quarter-size grouping. Correct. That's essentially bullets touching, whether you're at 25 or whether you're at 100 or 50. It's essentially bullets touching. Yeah, and that's, that's an amazing feat, especially if you have wind or anything else that you have to calculate for. Well, in, at that distance, the, the wind and stuff doesn't really come into play, but it is still a thing where you keep your your eye alignment based on what are the things that you're seeing, like the iron sights. Like Those mm. things make a difference. Yeah. And um, I practiced hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rounds with one of the horse soldiers. Uh, probably shouldn't even be saying this because <laughs> hey, the range wasn't hot at the time. But either yeah. way, I practiced so much as you know, twenty years or ten years ago. So it doesn't matter. But I was gonna uh, say that's a decade ago. Yeah, yeah, nobody's gonna know. Yeah, she gone. But yeah. uh, I practiced. I practiced for <laughs> hundreds like of rounds, hundreds of hundreds of rounds. I mean, I wake up at five. Were you a natural shooter, or was that some? No, obviously, it sounds like you had to work at it. I I absolutely have to work at it. I know. Okay. To the question, but um, my father was a hunter. Oh, okay. But uh, I don't know. Probably eight years old, something like that. <clears throat> my, uh, my dad's not a good businessman, even mm-hmm. though he's a contractor. And so at whatever point during that time, my mom was like, okay, we're selling the bass boat. You're selling all the guns, everything. So I just like, flushed it all out. So I never really shot guns growing up. Interesting. Yeah. And then I get to college and now I'm in this ROTC thing. I'm in uh, potentially 18 x-ray thing after a couple of years. And my buddy and his dad, they hunt all the time. They shoot all the time. So I didn't really start until I was probably... 20 years old so when how long from the time you got to an oda till you actually got to deploy how much time had passed from let's let's say the day you enlisted yep. to the time you were actually allowed to deploy with an oda how much time had passed before that so it took two years to the essentially the day give or take probably a week but it took two years for me to enlist mm-hmm. start the whole process and then deploy and then you're, a group. then you're with a group, and you actually got to go and within, do within live combat month, within, somewhere. And, within three months of being... And that was in Afghanistan or Iraq? No, that was Iraq. Okay. So your first deployment was in Iraq. Yes, sir. What was that like for you? Did you... 
did you was it was it as shocking to you as most people when because there's a there's a cultural shock and then there's the environmental shock how how was that for you was that so i actually thought there were a bunch of beautiful things yeah i'd I'd never seen the dust kind of just make things glow Mm -hmm. so the environmental stuff was pretty chill uh we were on a pretty big base in kirk cook uh the job was a little different because i was on that support team like i said so it wasn't as active as I wanted it to be. Yeah. Um, but uh, but uh, I, I didn't get really shocked by it at all. Well, that's good. Yeah. It was it was pretty decent living, to be honest. Do you have any real funny moments from your first deployment that you can remember? That. Well, we had a hot tub. <laughs> you had a hot tub. How did you guys? First of all, how did you guys have a hot tub? You know what? You know what? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm just gonna say this before we even get down that rabbit hole. Yep. I've deployed enough with Insoft that if it's there, it's there. I'm you just saying, it and that's it. I'm just saying because I've no, I remember back in the day we we were there and we took over like Saddam's palaces and yeah. shit like that. So it was a different time. But yeah, but that's a giant where, pool in the house. This where did did you guys build this hot tub or did you acquire the hot tub? So I believe it was built. We didn't build it. Okay. And I would say it's probably more like a horse corral than anything else, or a horse like. <laughs> drinking station but Jackson, then we're gonna need you to send us one of those yeah but then they just like <laughs> hooked the tubes up to it and made it hot you know what I mean? you, you you always have probably more like a pool than a hot tub I, yeah I right will say this you always have um what what i like to call or what at one point i had a sergeant major who literally put the title on my office door as acquisitions in ca mm-hmm. uh-huh. you always have that acquisitions in oh CIA. yeah uh we need this we need this we need that we need that right and then you do you some night night ops, and you then it shows up, and then you, you're like, you, "Where did this come you, from?" You don't ask. Nope. You're just like acquire acquisitions. Do, do your thing. Yeah, right. Kind of. You, you got to walk that fine line. Right. right. Yeah, for sure. And it kind of depends on. So this is tie back to the language thing. Some you know they like to talk to me, and I'm yeah. like, "Hey, you know, have you ever seen one of those things over there? We might <laughs> want one of those." And then, you know, yeah. I mean, and I, I mean. From hey, my experience you know. in Afghanistan, all you had to do is let them hold your hand and tickle your palm for a little I bit. I believe that, too. Yeah. And they would totally just give you whatever you wanted. Yeah. I only went to Bagram, and I stayed on the base for the whole time. So, Best Ugh. deployment location that you've been to so far? Cool. So it's going to be Iraq. However, there's a there's a um, qualification to that. Okay. So I got attached to the real boys. Oh, nice. And so the work that, that I was able to accompany them with was uh was syria okay and so the iraq deployment was my favorite location just but because you got to go to the syria best time of my career for sure i gotta say they have like the best chow hall in the south syrians you yeah. know the real boys oh yeah. yeah well they got a lot of money hey hey they're chow hall i'm gonna i'm gonna throw this at you the place where I, the place where i was at their chow hall was eh, ish the, the the dudes had good stuff because it was like there was always chicken and broccoli that yeah. was always ready for the dudes to have protein and veggies. Yeah. yeah. But the chow hall was eh, I've had better for sure. Right. Well the upgraded like version like Iraq BDSC, that chow hall kicked this place's right. The upgraded version on Erbil. Yeah. Of Yeah, Erbil's great too. The oh. shitty the but, shittiest but, location you've been to or worst location. So this is two-sided. I got to qualify this one, too. It's so stupid. Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> Come on now. Cleveland, Ohio. That's not a deployment location. Detroit's a deployment location. That's <sighs> for sure. No. It's, so it's actually like a good place and a bad place, but it's uh, UAE. 
mm-hmm. outside, outside of Dubai. I just happened to be there during uh, 2018, and it was the summer, and it was 115 degrees and 150% humidity because we were pretty much like on an island that didn't exist in the middle of an ocean. Yep. Sassanaco, maybe you've been there. Oh, okay. my God. It was probably... I've never experienced anything like it. Okay. I, I, can, I can be at 130 degrees in Iraq and it's cool. Yep. It's a humidity thing. And it's miserable. It's, it's un- like being down in Fort Benning Are in the we summertime. Starting this shit with the, it's a dry heat. Oh my it God. It is a big yeah. difference. Dry There's a huge heat. difference. Huge difference. Oh, huge. I mean, it was, no, it was 30 a, degrees in Idaho last I week. I would rather. I can attest going Oops. from Tennessee. Go, Jackson. Yeah. Tennessee to Wyoming is totally yeah. different. 100% it, different. You're right, because it's like I I spent time in Arizona, Listen and then I go to Georgia. Lander. You don't know what you're talking about, all right? <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> so for our our listeners that might want advice on wanting to become SF uh, Green Beret, what what do you recommend that they do? What is, what is a, something that you wish you would have known going in as an 18 X-ray that would have benefited you that you would like to impart on our listeners? <clears throat> so the main if i could do my career again i would not be a green beret really okay correct i would have spent time in ranger battalion and then i would have gone to a tier one element if i could do it again why would why would you do that um for this one reason and i thought when i st- when i signed up to be a green beret i thought that this was something that i was really going to enjoy and mm-hmm. i found out that i don't enjoy it as much um, so the main thing and, and what we're doctrinally made to do yeah. is to do essentially foreign internal defense or teach indigenous people to fight for themselves. Unconventional warfare, Unconventional right? Unconventional warfare. I found out that I really like to teach our allies, but I don't like to teach people in the Middle East. Okay. So you would you would you would recommend people if they're going to go sure in a you soft? Know what you're getting into. Be specific about which soft brand, like road i guess you're gonna go down 100 whether it's uh navy seals uh ranger battalion uh tac p pjs whatever whatever branch of military you're going down just know what that job is in it and titles and i mean and even even that like yes to the answer your question 100 percent i thought that i was really gonna like that and coming from my fairly sheltered new hampshire life yeah i was like oh it sounds great i'm gonna go overseas there's only gonna be a couple of us dudes we're gonna go over there we're gonna work with some other guys they have all the same processes like toilets and water and everything but they do it differently Uh i'm gonna get to learn something from them and they're gonna get to learn something from us like that really appealed to me and then in practicality no that's not what i want i love i love teaching us dudes i do not enjoy so your swick time, you really enjoyed? 100%. Okay. So Changed what you're my life. saying Changed is you life. did not enjoy squatting and using a water hose. Well, I don't mind doing it for myself. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm able to do that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> what I don't like is trying to teach other people that I don't like and are probably going to end up being our enemy Yeah. how to be better. Okay. I like teaching you and you and the other guys that fight side by side. Well, I'm, I might take you up on that. And we go to gun range sometime. You Anytime. can teach me some uh, wind. Well, you come to my know. house. I got a 270 meter or a 100 meter, 270 degree range. 
Oh, bro, I'm going to bring my guns. We're going to have a good the, time. I got all the steel. Come on out, baby. Fuck hey, yeah. we'll bring the bourbon. I'll bring, bring the, the bourbon. bourbon, the bullets, the guns. And we're not going to be shooting and drinking at the same time. No, 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 no. We don't do no, that. That's un- not. That's unsafe that's unsafe practice. That's Nobody unsafe. does that. We don't Nobody do that. that. No. That's like using alcohol and chainsaws. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. Does no that. I yeah. don't climb trees or do any no, of that I've, stuff. Jack, I've Jackson. never rolled down a mountain on a four-wheeler. No. Definitely yeah. not no, drinking never, ever. Never, never done it. I'm going gonna, gonna to ask Jackson some, some of the yeah. same questions real quick just to get an idea. Hang so, on. Hang on. What? Flatlander, are you there? Jackson, are you there? Oh, the yeah. Flatlander chick. Okay. <laughs> I thought you fell yeah. off the map for a minute. I've been here. Uh, he, he might have fallen asleep just for a minute, but that's okay. No, he's no. not completely old man status. He is. He's retired army. Yeah, he is retired. So you know, I know some retirees. They they fall asleep at mid conversation. No, is well, I gotta say this because we did not add this at the beginning. All right, you know, you church tray up real good. It sounded great. Like <laughs> I was ready to cream my jockeys, but then uh, you got the Jackson, and I'm like. He's All right, t- we're talking about eleven bang bang career, eleven bang bang years. Who, yeah. who who pulled the who pulled a who pulled the Beverly Hills hillbilly Probably here, and he packed it up, and he moved out to Wyoming to My be man. a real cowboy. Appreciate you, Jackson. Yeah. So thanks for your first of all. Thanks. Thanks for both of you, you <laughs> both you guys. Thank you for your service. Um, I'm just saying, I got a little Jackson talking about where he was. When you shows. when you joined the military. Did you did you decide you wanted to be an infantryman straight off? Uh, I knew I wanted to start as infantry. And I knew that it would give me options. I I definitely contemplated the soft thing, mm. and I think every infantryman does that wants to be a good infantryman and make a career of it. And you know, it just turned out that I really enjoyed being an infantry guy. And I learned over time too that that's okay. Yeah. Hundred percent. I actually, you know, I, I don't really mean to cut you off. Job as an infantry but uh, I know a lot of guys that are in the, the SF community that really want to go back to the infantry community. And why is that? Why would why would anybody want to go back to infantry and go away from that soft element? <clears throat> I think it's like a complication thing, mm. where there's. I don't know. I think Jackson might know a little bit about. I've never been a platoon sergeant. Okay. I've never been a squad leader. Really? No. I mean, we have. T- Go. I just, I just really enjoyed the fact that, like, you know, if there's really only kind of two, three places really you could be direct action, and that's your bread and butter. And at the lowest level, that's the infantry, mm-hmm. and at the highest level, that's a tier one place. Yeah. And you know, it's that was that was kind of the debate, and I saw that with a lot of my peers was. They, they did the same thing that Trey was talking about. Like, you know, that stuff thing's really cool and it has its perks. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, it is a very different job than. Yeah, it's a very specific totally skill set you know, that you guys are direct learning, I mean, right? Essentially, unless you're in that one battalion in each group that has that. Unless you're in that one battalion in each group that has that one company that is your direct action company. Right. Then you're not direct action. Yeah. Because you guys have different, like the Criff guys. And I, you got, I you would know. like to hear the input on this. I'm just going based off like MTO and metal kind of one. Yeah. Go, Jackson. What you got, bud? Well, I feel like GWAT, GWAT was definitely a soft mm-hmm. thing. It was it was a word that was designed for soft. It was not that I don't think conventional infantry, honestly, should have never really had a place over there. 
And if they did, it was integrated with soft units for soft units to use them for what they're good for. Well, yeah, they're force multipliers. So I think that's where a lot of people. Yeah, I, I think a lot of guys got got this. Well, if you're infantry versus soft with GY, it was it it muddled what the differences were and what each job is really good mm-hmm. at. You know, if you need, and a lot of soft guys I have I'm friends with, they attest to it. If you need a rollover Russia or rollover some other military that has a, a conventional military, like your infantry guys are it. Those are the 100%. guys that are gonna just go break yeah. everything, and they're really yep. good at it, yeah. being disciplined and yeah. doing it. So it's just a very different. Well, especially job. if you guys are attached you know, to a, so. a, a mechanized unit, <laughs> that's kind of then you guys are even more lethal. Yeah, I would I would even argue that I think we probably should use conventional forces more because now we find ourselves in the place where we're at now where it's like, well, are we doing conventional? When I don't know, it's kind of probably tough to say, so to say, but you, know, you go in there and you just win and then you're done. That's what we did in Desert Storm. Right. I would say my opinion, at least for the yeah. Afghanistan <laughs> deal, is it should have stayed more soft with elements to accentuate or to beef up soft as Bolstering, needed yeah. to bolster them. Yeah. But it was, in my opinion, Af- like yes, units. But in my opinion, Afghanistan was a complete yeah. soft ordeal, yeah. start to finish, and should have stayed that way. And you would have probably looked at I a lot see a different place for you could So, Jackson, did you ever cons- you consider going the soft route after you, you went to the 11 Bravo route? Yeah. You know, I got shafted and ended up in Korea mm-hmm. right out of okay. basic. So that was kind of a downer. And then I got to Tense Mountain in 2011. No, 2012. And... You know, back then, there's a lot of, if you weren't in Ranger Regiment or you weren't SF, you're probably in 10th Mountain, if you couldn't cut those two. 10th Mountain, eight, the good old 18 Airborne, Airborne Corps guys. So oh, I so the uh, really great 82nd guys, is that what you're talking about? Your 10th Mountain, 82nd, 101st okay, yeah. guys, the, that's kind of like the trifecta. Yep of like infantry dudes that think they're better than every other infantry dude and there's some truth to it not 80 seconds um, there's not so like most all american my ass hey man they're air okay, they're actual airborns seconds. over there versus oh. air assaulters yeah. you know yeah. and we all jumped yeah. a little at well, first so like i'll stick with 10th mountain. yeah i think the 10th mountain 10th guys mountain have it the toughest so by I, based on the guys that i know because you go to a lot of the mountain schools for 10th mountain right and you have to go to cold weather and some of those other things where yeah. the other uh, airborne units don't necessarily, or infantry units don't necessarily need to do that, right? Ted's Mountain used to have a joke that when Alaska, it was true sometimes, when Alaska had mild winters, they would send their guys to 10th Mountain because that's where you're always going to get a bad winter, no matter what. It was just, it was a very Arctic environment. <laughs> uh, and it was the most deployed your infantry unit out of anybody in like 20 years so you know when i got to my first platoon most of my ncos were were ranger qualified so which you don't really find anymore yeah that's but, true so i was i was just surrounded by a bunch of studs who took their job super seriously a lot of a lot of the guys were in the surge and and it was just a really good place to be like it wasn't uh the some units you find that oh well we're just regular infantry and they they do regular infantry stuff i had a really 
driven. The whole battalion was that way, of being super driven, very qualified, very professional. They didn't want to just be regular infantry. Right. They wanted to be the best infantry unit there was. So when the cool jobs did come up, they'd get called on. I just want to so, say Ranger that's School kind of where, where my Ranger School is just a, a teaching a the, school. No, it's just a drop in the bucket. If you want a real school, you go yeah. to Sapper School. <laughs> oh God, I've never been to either. So oh, how many yeah, how yeah. many how many combat deployments have you been on, Jackson? In your twenty year career, I did two. You did two, no, and those were thirteen months. So, thirteen no, month long. Eleven. He didn't do twenty. No, he they were retired. I did 11 years. Yeah, he didn't get a make. Yeah, he had I did 11 years active duty. Oh, you get okay. So you did 11 and you retired out. Yeah. Had to medically retire. Hey, man, that's admirable yeah. still. Heck yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then Trey, how many? I did oh. nine. Go ahead. I did nine and a half years straight at platoon. Nice. So that's that was that was the bulk of my career. Okay. And then yeah. <laughs> and then Trey, how many combat deployments have you been on in your time so far? Seven, but. They would be shorter, so mine range anywhere from somewhere between anywhere between uh, two to seven months. Okay, and then Ryan, how many deployments have you been on? Well, I mean, if we're breaking it up like his, then I'm at. Okay. Nice. But if we nice. don't break it up like this, I'm at like yeah. 18 months <laughs> the first go. Yeah. 15 months. The I can't imagine. Go. So I've got that long. I'm not a combat guy, but I've got 14 deployments under my belt. God bless uh, you, dude. Yeah, and it's I'm not Rus a combat guy either. <laughs> it's I just got lucky and played with all the combat. Yeah, guys. and I I'm well, normally a support. So I'm normally a support element, um, which is still a fun time because I get to you know hang out with a lot of you guys. And it's almost always more important. In in some element, that is true because uh, for me, what I do now as a civilian, I provide all the uh, AISR. Yep. feed yep. stuff for you guys yep. which is paramount because when you guys are there and, and you're on the ground and you're looking at your rover feeds or whatever Dude, it's big time it's big time right it's and it's time. great for the battle commander because they can see real time what's going on but i digress i would say that's probably one of the biggest lessons that i learned with working with the real boys yeah they have dudes that support them mm -hmm. and they're really and they're expected to be yeah really good at their job yeah and then they do that job right like you don't. I, you do got one job. job, man. You don't I do the other job. You do your job, and you do it really well. Yeah. Go, Jax. Well, I think that a point that I've seen is, you know, I think it's more so the civilian outside looking in perspective mm -hmm. because you have such a, you got the Mike Glovers, the black rifle guys, all them, and they they think that there's almost like a us versus them mentality between special operations dudes and and everybody else. Right. And I've gone and, and argued it on the pettiness of, of social media to say that I've found it to be completely opposite. Yep. You know, I think that as long as you have that mentality of, of everybody has their job to do and don't try to act like you're something that you're not yep. and be the best that you can be at your job, it garners respect within the organization. You know, everybody's got, I would it. say the infantry community, yeah, go ahead. Well, the infantry community and the special operations community, I think, is honestly closer now than it ever has been. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, absolutely. It's more interactive now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, even at the schoolhouse where we teach uh, long-range marksmanship, I mean, we accept uh, 101st guys, infantry guys all the time. And then kind of to your point, Jackson, I think you're totally on point with that one. I mean, there are probably 18 
let's call it 24 metal tasks, 50 that we have to be quote unquote, I'm using my quote fingers, proficient at, right? Mm. And so I don't touch a mortar for a couple of years. And then I go to the infantry guy who's a private E2 and I'm like, tell me how to do this thing. Yeah. Because I haven't touched it and I'm supposed to be good at it. But <laughs> yeah. Tell me how to but do it. But that's this a real thing. that's a real thing because oh, it's a real thing. you know, E six, E seven, E eight, they want to know something. They usually go down to the 100%. lower level because those I mean, guys are doing it day shit. in, yeah, day yeah. out. Yeah, and then it's like if you want that refresher, you're normally gonna go back. Oh, yeah. But wait a minute, you're supposed to go to MLOC. You're supposed <laughs> to be able to go to MLOC. Oh, but wait, there's more. No. There's no MLOC slots available. Oh, no, yeah. So how are you supposed to be an infantry mortar Speaking reader guy when you can't get in the course? Speaking from the course NCO. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm just saying from a non-combat guy experience. You used to lead MLOC? No. Oh. No, he's just the school's NCO. For, yeah. Yeah. I, just right. lead, I just used to lead you all to it. But yeah. what, I'm, what I'm saying, like from a non-combat arms standpoint, with 17 years in... I have spent more time either training with, deploying with, running convoy ops and everything else with combat arms guys mm. because without getting into the willy-nilly of my MOS, when I joined the Army, they didn't have a fucking clue of what I was. They're yeah. like, oh, you're an engineer. We're just going to put you with these guys. Yep. So next thing you know, you're running a 50 cal or a Mark 19 on top of a gun yeah. truck, and you're out the gate, right? So... I trained more with... Were you one of those SFAB guys? That came around later. You know, 17 years <laughs> in, right? I didn't, I didn't do the SFAB just thing. just messing with you. I, I, love, I love the SF patch. Right, that they've got. got a tab. With, with yeah. just the big SF the, patch. The I'm like, oh, the yeah. so you're the special force or security forces? Right, well, yeah. So, Which, uh, yeah. You know what? That brings us to a good point here. I'm going to do a little segue. Yeah, we're doing a <laughs> major right. segue right now. A segue, right? So... <laughs> Prime example. This is no. This is a prime example of big army wanting something that soft has. Yeah, a hundred percent. Kind of like so, the the beret so, thing that so, happened. So so big army decides. Oh my god! Over a decade now, Jesus. I'm yeah, old. you right? you over are over a old. decade now. Big army decides it wants its own civil affairs unit mm-hmm. in Forcecom. Yeah, and they want them COCOM aligned and assigned mm-hmm. to divisions, right? So we, I go and I start standing up a battalion and blah, blah, blah. We're COCOM aligned, right? right? Next thing you know, I'm civil information management level four. I can train CA to do SIM collection and all this shit. It lasts for all of five years before Forcecom realizes they cannot sustain the budget required right. to yeah. facilitate that. And they're like, you're gone. And that's so why. So by 2018, yeah. they just disappear, yeah. right? And now you have SFAB, yeah. who it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what other, hang on, head scratcher, what <laughs> other elite, elite forces do I have at my disposal that, that are advising? subject matter experts and advisors to go and train and lead and mentor soldiers? What, what, what is that? I actually, I actually think that's, that's, that's a legit thing. So... I, I mean, it's good because it can kind of maybe no. maybe un, might might cut you guys out oh. of a job in a way, because if they put those SFAB guys doing that, then you guys can fi- focus on DA type things, right? So that's actually not our job. Oh yeah, our job is to make individuals or indigenous people fight for themselves, and so not lose American lives. Okay, 
right? So the DA stuff that, that we do is kind of ancillary, and it's the stuff that well, No, that's what he's saying. Is that not what you do, basically? You go and you train foreign forces? To well, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. SFAB, right? SFAB is going to undercut them. SFAB, that's what he's saying, is SFAB uh, is trying to... Yeah, so then you guys would just strictly do DA stuff at that point, because like now, S- you got, now you got two hogs at the trough. So I think, so this, I think this leads to my greater point of this whole thing, which is, I don't think, and there's, I think there's some... I don't know why these commanders either do or do not know this, but they just don't use the tool. Mm-hmm. There's some, there's like some stigma about utilizing some version of a soft tool. Right. I mean, there's that tool can be utilized in so many different directions. Right. And I think that half the time that it doesn't because it would be the good tool. Do you want to know why it is? Go Trey? for it, Jackson. It's because half your sergeant majors in the infantry mm-hmm. were good enough to make sergeant major in the infantry, but they weren't good enough to make it through SFAS, so they have a sour taste in their mouth, so wrong. they're always going to be against it. Yep, yeah, yeah. I saw it throughout my career. Anytime dudes wanted to leave a, a battalion to go to SFAS or go to any other assessment selection, they'd be like, oh, what do you want? Like, what makes you so much better than everybody else? And it was all, nine times out of ten, if you look down that sergeant major's career, uh, or that first sergeant's career, it was because he went and tried for it and didn't make it and had a bitter taste in his mouth. I believe That's you. exactly what it is. I, believe, I, believe. I have a part two, a different perspective of the SFAP thing too. Of, I think things have evolved where they want special forces. And this is me being in La La Land of hoping for the best. And I should have learned better in, in the army of hoping for the best and people being smart. <laughs> I think they want to change things for special forces train other countries special forces and then they have SFAB train conventional forces to conventional forces which isn't what it was designed to be at all in the first place SF wasn't designed to be that way Agreed. but I think that's what it's just kind of ad hocly progressed to yeah I, I, I don't disagree go for it Dan that's to point. your point with those that couldn't make it to get berets that's why that one general came around and gave everybody the black beret and stole it from the ranger battalion. And then yep. everybody had berets. So <laughs> I've actually like, yep. here's a participation award. Now you all get a, you know, a just, wear a beret. Yeah. And I just learned this this year. So uh, one of the guys that works for me, he's did 20 years. He's one of the horse soldiers. He's been teaching sniper school for 20 years too. Awesome. Well, he tells us, and I just learned it, call it since May. He's He said when he showed up to a uh, special forces group, every single buddy in the formation wore a green beret. Mm-hmm. Whether you had a long tab or you didn't, mm-hmm. everyone had a green beret. Yeah, you were honorary if you're a part of it. Yep, if you're a part of the group, mm-hmm. you wear a green beret. And then, yeah. then it changed away from, you know, SF guys wear green berets and then the support personnel wear red berets. Right. So essentially, you take that family, and it's like a house divided at that point. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I mean, don't get so me I wrong. Never, I never knew that. Actually, though. in reality, yeah. yeah, that used so to be a thing. I, I never knew that. Yeah. I knew that, and that's why when I showed up, I'm like, this is 100 percent a house divided. So and like you, you've got the lines. But what I wanted to caveat on was Jackson's point, uh huh, and about how they're trying to separate you know, SF trains SF, right? Conventional, yeah. conventional trains, conventional, conventional, right, right. And I can say this from being downrange. Yeah. No, from direct experience working with Jackson and working with um, one of the cephalic 
committee NCOICs mm-hmm. that group, right? The three of us coming together, collaborating, building a POI, mm. and then turning around and pushing and teaching that to 101st and enablers to do a train the trainer concept. Yeah. Right? Like Jackson was part of the guinea pig phase for that. Mm-hmm. Right? And we built this great process that is now basically just like kind of do I have an ODA that wants to do this and get some training time and hands on? Right? You got your POI already done, it's already built. And now I've got I've got ODAs here and there. Right. Who want to take it on and train it? But that's what I'm getting at. Is it's still an SF YouTube, thing. Yeah. I They're the YouTube, ones teaching. I I think YouTube really believe, and I guess you would say that cause of wanting to be masters of their craft will always just put aside all the political crap that the big army organization perpetuates yep. and drives at at an organizational level and. Dudes who really want to get better are always going to find the best dudes at that thing and then go ask them to help them. Yeah, I agree. And I think special operations has all this money now from GWAT, which they should. It's great. I think it's awesome. And I think that now that things have wound wound down to Trey's point of he likes training our dudes better than he likes training these other dudes that are probably going to shoot us in the back later on. Yep. Like, those guys want to train us. They have the ammo, and they've had the time to, to become subject matter experts. So why wouldn't infantry dudes reach out to them and be like, hey, here's a skill set that we're weaker on that you guys specialize in, so go ahead and teach us. Yeah. And it goes back and forth, though, because to Trey's point, he's got to go to an infantry battalion and say, hey, i got to run a mortar range. Can you toss me your chucks for a weekend so that we can yeah. go refresh on all yeah, this 100%. stuff? Yeah, 100%. It's dudes are always going to put aside the petty lines to be able to do, be the best at their job. So they can get the job done. I think that's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, we went on a detour for a, yeah. a while here. I'm going to circle us back. It was an amazing, it was an amazing, <laughs> it was an amazing detour. And I love everything and about that because it was very dynamic. It really wasn't a detour because it's still right on course with guns and shooting and blowing yeah, things up. Yes. Yes. It's just a deviation from your yeah. guideline. Right. Hang exactly. That's what I said. Exactly. You know, we're just re- we're going to redirect. We're going to redirect here. All right. So, growing up, we're going to go around the room and we're going to we're going to answer these questions kind of in a round robin session and it'll it'll you know, it's, it's going to be good. Duck duck goose. Yeah, you know. Uh growing up, Trey, sir. First gun that you shot. Do you remember? Sure do. It was the first one I bought too. I remember mine too. Mine yep, Ruger Ruger ten twenty two. Bought it from Walmart. Got it from Walmart. Still have. How it old now. were you when you got that? Eighteen. Eighteen. All right, Ryan. I shot my first gun way before that. Well, I nobody's. Um, this isn't a dick measuring competition. This is just when was the first hey, time. How did you know. I, how did you know what my first gun I shot was? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. All right. Anyways, thank you very much. It was actually a BB gun, but I would just say the first gun that I bought. All right, go. Yeah, right? BB well, guns I mean, mostly, the, yeah. The first time you shoot it, it's like a BB gun. You don't know what it's going to do, and you're just trying. You're just but waiting it, for it. It just goes right, off, see, and you're now, like, oh, my God. See, yeah, exactly. All right? <laughs> you got to be careful cleaning them guns, all right? Yeah. No endies. Uh, no endies. So first gun I ever shot was a 410 shotgun. Nice. And how old were you? 
eight. Eight years old. I mean, a four ten shotgun. So we didn't, that's a soft one, at least. We didn't count BBs as as a gun. So well, like, I mean, it's called a BB gun. No, so it like, kind of counts. We didn't count it. Like you're talking about a four year old running. If you around ask with a the red liberal rider. media, that definitely counts. It's a I'm black just saying, weapon. You're it counts. Talking about a four year old running around with a BB gun. <laughs> yeah. You know, shooting birds and stuff. Yeah. Which yeah, I, wish, I never did that. Right. I never shot birds. But I, I'm just I, saying. I wish I did that. I tried to do that for my boy. I'm like, there's your BB gun. Like, go do it. And I shot three uh, 410 shotgun shells or shells uh, yesterday. Trying to kill this. Right. I wasn't trying to kill this thing. <laughs> This I was trying to. Uh, this this I was trying was, to scare this cardinal away from scratching my wife's van. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> so so I'm gonna go a little southern on you, okay? Go for yeah. it. okay, okay. Because cardinals are kind of a thing. I know. Do you know what a cardinal represents? Uh, cardinal sins. No. Other other th- other than a state bird, no. No. So a cardinal when when you see a cardinal. From the way I was raised, it is a l- past loved one who has come to visit. I thought that was butterflies. No. Well, that's, then that's you're telling me thing. I shouldn't try and dispatch exactly, this cardinal. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and mm. I mean, if it's... It, <laughs> you know what? I'm not even going to say the comment I was about All to right. say. Jackson. I'm not causing any problems yeah. there. Nope. <laughs> Jackson, <laughs> Jackson, what was yours? Your first gun that you shot, what was it? Oh, it was a twenty two. Yeah, and how old were 22 you? Twenty two long rifle. I still have it. How old were you when you got that? Oh, I was like 10. Okay. So it's perfect because I got my kid his first. Yeah. It's sitting in the safe. Mm-hmm. You got it for me. I did. I bought it off you. Uh-huh. Got it real cheap. Mm-hmm. Got a sweet deal. Yeah, but I got it cheap too. So. But we went through an <laughs> FFL and everything. It was legit. It was legal and yeah. all things, you know. It was yeah, all, yeah I got a bill of sale. <laughs> yeah, it was all on the up and up. Yeah, right. I got a no. bill of sale the whole nine yards. Yeah. I copied photo ID. <laughs> I've got his mailing address. Fingerprints. He's got an imprint of my butthole yeah, on it. Exactly. Yeah, it's everything. I, I photocopied it all. <laughs> I have it. 100%. You know, uh, for me, I, <laughs> you know. I didn't shoot guns growing up. Until I was an adult, uh, so once I joined the military, that was that was the first time I actually got to shoot a gun. No kidding. Yeah. So you were eighteen. I was twenty. What? Oh wow. I was twenty years old when I got to shoot my first Jeez. gun. That explains a lot. Oh shut the fuck I've up! I've shot with you before. I'm that better shot than you. No, we go to Grand you need, Chain. You need his help. I don't. Yeah, you do. I don't. Maybe shut for a long gun, on for like any gun. Depends. For yeah. any gun. Well, I used, well, I used to be halfway decent. I, I gotta say this: stuff. Yeah. He, he doesn't listen. <laughs> he believes so, he knows how to do it. This is act, that's actually a thing. Yeah, it, it is, is a it's thing. called a Rambo complex. Yeah, he, he hasn't. I, I don't have. Yeah, uh, no, it's I've, like, I've shot gun with I, you. I, I'm a dude, and I know how to run this thing that makes a lot of noise. And then when you go and teach women, they generally don't have that. No. And then they just listen to. Oh, you. See, no, I so no. I so bad want to go to Sifsic and, and go through the uh, course. I'd love to go through that. And just be the guinea pig like, I don't care, just teach Yeah, me. I'd love to go through that. Dude, it's a good time to come through. The dudes are working real hard, and they're real innovative. It's a good time. The funniest thing that happened for me because of being older, mm. learning to shoot. Everybody who made fun of you? No, no. <laughs> the funniest thing for me was because I'm in the military, and you're first time on the line, and somebody somebody decides they want to stand up and flag everybody yeah, no don't do that that's you know and then the you see the the uh drill, drill sergeant what did you whoever, call him i don't even remember anymore but the whoever's running the range the range master you see the range master actually tackle the guy 
God, my mind went like straight dominatrix there all of a sudden <laughs> when you said range master. Yeah, so you see, we called him the range master when we're on the firing line. <laughs> and but like somebody's standing at the door measuring as you walk in. Oh, you don't have the range for this. Get out. Yeah, but it was funny because like you see, they, they tell us in the briefings before going to the range and they give us all the spiel, right? And this kid, he was from Puerto Rico. English is not his strong suit, so he doesn't know what's going on. So it, to his defense, he, did, he didn't know. Yep. And he stands up because he got a stovepipe, and he doesn't know what to do. And so he starts to turn, and we all see that it's a stovepipe, but the range master doesn't see that. And so he just tackles this dude full fucking force, and he just goes flying through his lane and into the dirt. And we're probably, all just like, Probably what? which is more unsafe. Yeah. <laughs> and we're all like, what in that? fuck is going on right now you know what just pause for a second on that note right and think think for just a second range master right drill sergeant yeah they tackle you and knock you through the wall right we just went straight on like the military has enlisted like linebackers no dominatrix oh yeah okay it's a drill master they can't do this shit no more master. they can't do that shit anymore now uh, they have to like give you a card and have a timeout yeah, and like all kinds of weird that's shit that's the air force we no did, we never had a stress card oh, no no now they do Who? army no, we do have stress cards no the army has stress cards but i quit i'm going home you, you should put their hands. i'm trying they literally drill can raise their hands now and be like i am stressed out loud. it's crazy yeah but drill sergeants can still put their hands on recruits yep. if they pose a threat, a safety threat to everybody else. Right. So all of my buddies that are drills now, they dream for the day that these idiots make a mistake <laughs> so that they can finally just let out all their aggression on these dudes. Favorite gun, Trey. What is your favorite gun? Mm. And it, Go. I was going to say personal versus duty. What is what is your favorite personal gun versus your favorite duty gun or kind weapon? Of, they're kind of one and the same. I knew that was coming. Okay. Yep. I'm an I'm an AR guy. <laughs> okay. So you're an AR hold guy. Up, hold up. Hold up. Hold so up, you're hold a five five six. No, no. You're an AR guy. Can yep. you please explain to me what AR stands for, That's sir? Wait. Assault rifle. No, it does not. I know. Don't you dare. <laughs> That's so much later. They were supposed to cover you, dickhole. <laughs> hey, but that's he tough. led into it. You're right. He I set know. me up. That's fine. You know, well, it's a, it's a guideline, all right. It's, it's not a, a fucking guide. guarantee. It's not stick a guarantee. To. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a big AR <laughs> guy. I'm in now, thank you. I love, yeah. I love them. So, uh, I mean, I gave this AR-10 really AR-10 or AR-15. Both. I'm just an AR guy in general. So you just like that platform because you're familiar with it. It's easy to so disassemble. Great. It's easy I'm to find parts. It's easy for cleaning. Built a bazillion of them. Right. I love them. I love building them. They shoot well. They're just. And being a Bravo, that's your wheelhouse. It's just where I've ended up. Now. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and out of all of them, I mean, I love a bolt gun too. Don't yeah. Wrong. So what's, what's your favorite bolt gun? Whew. Tough you have. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I have now, the answer to that gun, yet. Are we talking brands? Or are we talking caliber? Doesn't. Does we'll get to the caliber once he says the favorite gun, because then it kind of covers that. I don't know if I don't know if I'm there yet. Like, okay, I have a really great gun, and it's built off of a Defiance action with a Hawk Hill barrel. Mm-hmm. Both great companies. Um, if I would do another one, I'd probably go a different direction. Like, not the barrels are the same. Hawk Hill is, in my opinion, the best. 
barrels to get. Um, but I would probably go with maybe a lone peak uh, action or something. Some other premium action. Jackson, but, uh, what, do you, what do you got for us? Yeah. Are you Ooh, my current favorite gun? Like my everyday truck gun? Well, uh, when you were, when you got personal, your two? personal favorite versus when you were, you know, enlisted and you're on let's let's stick with long guns because we started with long guns and we'll revert back to pistols i don't, yeah. I don't think we care about pistols you know what we're oh, deviating from the track. how about you just be quiet <laughs> i love a pistol. Pis- pistols are a real thing okay My they are we're gonna get to that later but no, you know. we already deviated yeah. go ahead My favorite work gun was the Mark 48 because you got the size of a 249, but you're carrying 762 and you can just lay down mad hate. That love was machine my favorite gun. work gun. Mm-hmm. 249 is a good one. I, I like the machine. sound of those when they're going. Gun. Oh, this is yeah. a Mark 48. This is a 30 cal. Like, oh, that's. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is like a 240, but the same size yeah. as a 249. Uh-huh. Nice. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, it's, you're just laying down hate. It is like an infantryman's wet dream. I do love it. Uh, so. Uh, M2HB. That's what I was thinking. It was a 50 cal. Uh, you yeah, hear that. And yeah. Doot, 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 yeah, that just the sound of it is just menacing as fuck. You know, it's not even the sound for me on the mod, dude. It's, it's the vibration. I, I just like the sound. Because yeah. you just know somebody's getting fucking annihilated on the other end of that. They're just going to be pink yeah. mess. I feel like if men like, could actually perform like the Mod Deuce, more women would be happy. <laughs> no, I don't think they would. I think they'd be dead. Because you'd be ejaculating straight through them all the way to the top of their cranium. We're talking about the rhythmic thrust here. Oh, I thought you meant the impact. And uh, I mean, if you're doing the impact, then I don't know what to tell you. You need to get checked out. You got a problem. There's some annihilation going on with it. The gyration mode. All right, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Need to go back to school to learn how to be that big of a man. <laughs> I would need to be reborn. Okay, yeah, I'm right. re- be reborn and restart this whole thing. Oh God, Ryan, what's what's what you got for us? I'm I'm for me as far as favorite. Yeah, your fave. Favorite service weapon. Personal or or service. Oh, per- you you said uh, we were sticking to the long guns. Yeah, so long guns. Um, would be honestly AR-10. Okay, um, yeah. Uh, I thought three hundred blackout was your favorite. No, no, no. Oh. No, we're talking. Okay. That's 300 blackouts is really not a long gun. I mean, it is, but it isn't. Right. That's an AR-15. I mean, it if, is. If, if I like so it like is. so. I like the 300 blackout for my truck gun purpose mm-hmm. that I built, right? Yep. But I will say, gun wise, mm-hmm. and I'm not so much a fan of the caliber. I like when I talk long guns. I prefer six five Creedmoor. Okay. Okay. I. Myself and Jackson helped me built a 308 AR-10 yep. sniper rifle mm-hmm. for my dad. Right, cool. 100%. That is my favorite gun, and I don't even—it's not even mine. Mm. Never even pulled the sniper trigger. Sniper rifle on. or <laughs> a never hunt, even pulled the tr- hunting no, it's, rifle. It's an could AR-10. One, could be one of the same. Either or, <laughs> it's AR-10, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, twenty inch barrel, it, twenty inch barrel. It, it's got the magpul. Uh, I forgot the, the super duper magpul that's got all the adjusters, right? Right. Yeah. It's got the Geisley drop in trigger, like the whole shebang. Oh, it's got right? a Geisley trigger. Oh in yeah, there. whole yeah, shebang, right. right? Me and Jackson okay. built this. So it's right? adjustable trigger right. and all that. Let's put it this way: first gun I ever built. Mm-hmm. Jackson helped me build it. 
So Bought that's your favorite. That's your that's your favorite. That one? is one hundred percent my favorite. Okay. You know why? Because you guys built it. Because I built it with one of my brothers. Well, that. that so one hundred percent. That specific gun is my favorite, and will continue to be. My favorite is my FN Scar Seventeen. Oh, I already knew that oh, was coming. Like the scar. Oh, yeah, I he's, love. He's got the shorty. I love it. It's it's my favorite because it's three. It's chambered in three hundred eight. And seven six two for the military people that don't know what a three oh eight is. Still it is <laughs> effective. It's got good range. If I need it for close range, I can still use it for that. I just like it. Yeah. Um so I've got a I've got this build. I don't up. like the way it's built. Yep. Like the buttstock, that boot shaped weird shit that they've got going on but the utility of it the mechanics of it and everything else like i just it's effective it's a good battle rifle right gotta say when these guys let me shoot the scars the scars are fun they are yeah yeah Yeah, they're good guns they're just i think they should redesign the buttstock and for a hundred percent for like a quick access gun with some longer range Mm -hmm. oh yeah 30 cal's not bad at all i got this i got this build going on right now and i i messed up on it um, so I wish I would have done it better or just did what I should have done, which is talk to my buddy that knows more about it than I do. But either way, I wanted to make a small 308 AR-10. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to get a 12 and a half inch barrel, this, that, and the other thing. I got a 12 inch, uh, handguard, blah, blah, blah. Well, 308. I wish it was 12 inches. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> 308s in gas guns, they're fickle, man. Yeah. So you got to figure out the weight with the buffer yeah. and figure out the gas and everything else. Okay. So I'm in the middle of trying to get this thing oh, to yeah. like actually operate good. I mean, I just want a nice light carbon fiber, every carbon fiber, the whole business. But um, either way, it's fickle though. And I should have gone with at least a 13. I found a 14 and a half inch barrel. So would it be better to have done piston versus gas impingement? Or maybe. I don't know, to be honest. Okay. What do you think on that one, Jackson? To shorter the barrel, you just have to have the heavy, uh, heavier the buffer. Yeah, I still got to get one of those. usually how it works. Okay. So yeah, you got to slow that baby down. So, like, guys, guys who do AR-15s, everybody wants to do the short barrels because they see all the sexy stuff on Instagram. Mm-hmm. They'll go with, like, a regular H2 buffer, and they'll wonder why they have all these malfunctions. When nine times out of ten, if you go below 14.5, you need to go to an A5 H2 buffer. God, I love hearing this stuff. It gives me Sorry, a bonus. I got nerdy there. I know. I'm actually, I'm actually, I haven't got it yet. <laughs> I got nerdy with it. I know the, uh, I know the guy or an executive from uh, JP Rifle, so I'm gonna go with the, uh, the captured heavy, uh, 308 H2 tungsten, uh, captured buffer. So, but I'm just, I haven't got it yet. I got, I got kids. I'm so telling you. Right now. I got, I got kids. So four hundred dollars doesn't come all that frequently. Wow. <laughs> Well, the way you're talking right now, I'm going to come very frequently. <laughs> I got 400 bucks just I'm going to give you just to see this happen. <laughs> so why don't you lead off, Dan, with favorite pistol or sidearm? Favorite Sidearm. Sidearm. My favorite pistol. Sidearm. My favorite sidearm. My favorite sidearm? Uh, I would the reason have to I say that is because I know some people that literally carry around a snub nose shotgun. Okay, so my favorite sidearm right now is the Springfield ha- you can, yeah, Springfield Hellcat that I've got. It's in a nine mil. Uh and I've got a dock sight on it. So I really like it. It's it's smooth. The trigger's good. It's compact enough where it's not super obtrusive. And it doesn't have a lot of kick on it. So I for me right now, like I used to be a Glock guy and I love a lot of the Glock guns. 
But for right now, the Springfield Hellcat Pro is my favorite. I believe you. Before we jump over to Trey and ask his, I have to caveat on just your dock site comment. Mm-hmm. If you have never run a dock site, it's, it can be different. But I shit you not, once you run a dock site and figure it out, so I would never want to run anything else. That's just me. For me, me personally, when you're shooting a pistol and you're in an environment where it's your tunnel vision happens, right? Because you got a lot of adrenaline and everything else like that. I find that it's easier to have a dock site to focus in on versus having iron sights on a pistol. Even though your radius is short. I think it, for target acquisition, for me personally, and this could be different for everybody else, a dock site helps for that when you're. <laughs> but it just might be me. What do you think, there, Trey? <clears throat> I think both have really good application. Like if I'm from me to you, don't matter what sites I got. So right, you can just put, point and shoot. Put my eyes on you and just mm-hmm. give it hell. Um, <clears throat> But when it comes to... I mean, at that point, ain't that the kind of like the finger method, which wherever my finger's pointing is where it goes? Generally, it's your eyes, but samesies, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like... Not however, for point of aim. Say again? Yeah, yeah point of aim, point of impact. Yeah. Yeah, yeah natural point of aim. Yeah. But, um, yeah, na- well, no, natural point of aim yeah. is what it's going yeah, with. Your eyes go. Yep. So, anyway, but uh, I actually really do like uh, red dots. Okay. And I think they're more precise, like further out. Mm-hmm. So if I want to be precise between here to you and then out to a hundred or fifty, call it. Yeah, because most people aren't going to shoot out a hunter with a pistol. Yeah, you just got to hold over a little bit, like mortars. <laughs> well, here's you a good example. <laughs> You're lobbing right? rounds at that point. <laughs> here's you a good example. You take somebody who didn't wasn't getting a lot of pistol trigger time, right? Uh huh. And then you send them down to AMU. Oh, you went down to Georgia right? for that one, yeah. Right? And you're working yeah. with guys, and you're doing comp. You're doing competition shooting. You're shooting steel, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And you're shooting a SIG, right? The yep. M17s, and you've got Those iron nice. sights, right? And you're you're doing okay, right? But then one of the team guys is like, hey, why don't you try my Glock, you know? Mm-hmm. Since we're running one-on-one-on-one-on-one, right? And then you figure out the dock site, and you smoke the team guy because you picked up on the dock site, and you're like, oh, shit, bah, 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 and you just blow through it? Yeah. It's a big that, game changer, that, I think. That right there is like, that to me was like, okay, I'm decent with iron sights, but that dock sight, once you figure out oh, yeah. how it works. Well, it's just like a long gun, you know. That is like. Iron sights versus optics. Game you know, you got optics that are dial you in, and it just, yep. it just really helps you. So you don't have to, but there's see, less guesswork at that point. And see, that's the thing is like, you have so many people, I hate dock sights. No. You don't like a dock site because you don't understand it. And you haven't and been you trained to, to it. the time to learn it. Yeah. I, w- I will say this, though. So probably my favorite pistol, if we're going to like circle back just yes. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back to you. Right? We're going to circle back. Probably my favorite pistol right now is my 43X. Oh, nice. I am. You love le- that Glock, huh? I am lethal with that thing. Okay. And it's tiny. It is super tiny. Do you have the extended on the magwell? I do have a magwell on it. I've got adjustable sights on it. Okay. And so it's pretty tricked out for a 43X. Yeah, yeah. But I'm deadly with that thing. Mm. And it's awesome. I, I believe you're so, deadly with any weapon if I put it in your hands. But uh, you Generally know. speaking, I'm okay on, this, on the other side of a barrel. But my point being... <laughs> My point being is that on that particular one, even <laughs> Wait though... Wait a minute. Which side of which barrel? Oh, I'm on the, the giving end. They're he's on, not, he's the, the pitching side. He's yeah, the, the pitching, pitching side. side. <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, if you're on the giving end, what are you giving? 
He's given hot lead. Oh, he's given hot lead. Oh, you're you're slinging the lead. Okay, yes. okay. He's he's yeah. the lead slinger. I'm probably also also lethal on the you, other side too. I'm just saying, <laughs> yeah. if you set me up for <laughs> That'd this, be a one-time thing. If you <laughs> set me up for this, if you set me up for this, I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna yeah. Let you. So on that particular gun, right? I say particular, but for the utility that I use that gun, which would po- mostly be in my pants, I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm not going to put a red dot on it because I'm probably not going to need it. And right, it yeah. it takes up a little more space. No, and that makes sense because for that that particular application, right. you know, that, I'm curious. that makes sense. I'm curious. So how do you carry? You carry appendix? Appendix. Yeah, me too. How do you carry, Jackson? Appendix. Well, if I'm in town, I carry appendix. If I'm outside of town, I just open carry because carrying on a horse sucks. Yeah. Well, so it time. sounds like all of us typically carry appendix, which is, it's not a traditional way that it's trained in the military. Yeah, I like the hip. I like the hip too. It just depends on whether or not right. you have the. Because in the military, yeah. they train you to carry in the hip or on the leg, yep. depending on or or crossed on your chest, depending so, on what what the what you're doing. But I guess if you look at a clock. And the cross your, on the if, chest if has cons- been outdated. It is you, outdated, let, but I'm old as fuck. So your body a clock, right? Your waist a clock, right? <laughs> I guess I, you know, and your mm-hmm. your crotch is twelve. Your anus is six, right? I guess I'm somewhere carrying between. Well, you're a lefty too, so this is I different. Am lefty. Uh, I am a lefty. You're offhanded. Yeah, you're a wrong. Fucking you're nerd. a wrong person. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> You know what left-handed people are? In their wrong. right brain? Wrong. We're special. You are special. You need like a helmet. Like short we've bus talk, special. We talk about you know, this. You say, you, say, you say I need a helmet, but yet you just... You're, art, you're artistic and mildly autistic. I would ask this, though. Are you also left-eye dominant? Mildly? Mildly. Jackson's going to kill you on this. <laughs> kill you on this one. All right, so <laughs> I'm a nine to noon carry. Yeah, that's where I carry my uh, ladies. What your your <laughs> vagina balls? No, that's where your the vagina line, sits. Your vagina normally, balls yeah. set uh, between your nine. Yeah, well, they sit right there, right on my leg normally, and they're rubbing on, on it. That's, that's most just, strip plus most strip clubs are usually on my well, left. What I'm leg. getting at is for me, my holster position shifts from that nine o'clock hip. Uh huh. And you rotate around noon. depending on where depending you're at, right? Depending on where I'm at and yeah. what I'm doing. But so I, I, I don't I don't do it just to fucking do it. Like now do you this you, is something I will stand in, in my camper and practice for hours because Jackson and Sure other you're pe- practicing your draw and not drawing. Well, that's not drawing, that's stroking. That's yeah. different. Get it right. You get your draw, you know, stroke, I know you're whatever. To throw you know. a joke in there, but get it right when you throw it. All right. <laughs> you know, we can't all be Spider Man shoot across the table at you. But what I'm getting at here is I'm going to, yeah, I know your joke was bad. Yeah, it was terrible. But what I'm getting at is I take the time to do the draw practice, the dry fires at those positions. So you get used to it. So I get used to it. Yeah, I think that's a normal thing with anybody that carries a gun. You need repetition so you become proficient at that, whatever it is you're doing, whether it's a long gun, pistol, it doesn't matter. But I do kind of agree with the dock site. Uh, on a service weapon mm. as opposed to concealed carry for me i've tried it the dock side is not that comfortable and i draw it across my stomach no it head. hurts if you have the dock site yeah. and that if i you mean draw it wrong it does not feel great but i mean that's why you practice so that you don't do when that. i come home and i'm ripped well, and well, i wear it and i wear it then you're i'm never fine ripped don't lie 
But right, when I come, when I'm here and I'm drinking and I'm getting I fat, totally, I totally, he, his, the lips were moving. He had words formulated. Let's hear no, it, Trey. I, I don't Let's have words. It. I'm saying, uh, or I guess I do have words. <laughs> Formulate them, right? But uh, I mean, at the end of the day, <laughs> who cares if it hurts? I mean, the reason why you're skinning your concealed weapon, not necessarily for practice, is for defense. You, need to take you know what? Yeah, like like you're gonna dispatch he's... something yeah, or someone. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I bet that's what he says I, on anal. She's like, it hurts. He's like, who cares if it hurts? You're doing this for practice. <laughs> <laughs> he's doing this for penetration purposes. <laughs> no, that's, that's that's when this happens. I have right, a yeah. from the other direction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, All right. I have a perspective on this though. With the red dot, yep, is that everybody? I, I equate to like land nav and, and GPS. Everybody loves having their little garments on their wrists and all that, but if you can't read a map, you suck. So, like at the end of the day, I think everybody needs red dots are definitely something that are awesome that you can use in the right application. But if you can't shoot iron sights, what happens when your battery dies? I agree. I agree. So. It, the de- dependency I factor. I proficient at both. Right. Actually, can I can I give some perspective on this? One? You can. I not perspective. This is a story. Yeah, I want to do it. Go yeah. for it. Hold yeah, up, yeah roll. Up, it. Up, no, up, no, up, let him roll. Let him roll. Let him Did roll. Did you just ask permission? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you never need permission. You can absolutely you just oh, fucking cool. hammer yeah. it, bro. So I don't Full even send know, all Jackson. Time. You might have actually. Well, maybe you wouldn't, but either way. So there's this hundred and first colonel. I believe what Jackson. You know better than I am. What brigade commander? What is it? Started with an S? Yes. Yes. Right? Ended with an like, like, I have no idea. We're not going down that road, but yes. Either way, right? He happens to be a great pistol shooter. And so he brings all of his dudes out to the range, and he has a really interesting technique, and I generally agree with it. So just like you said, hey, yes, you got to be good at irons. You got to know the basics. You got to know a map and a compass. I got it. I agree with you. However, he started his dudes and people, let's call it people, whatever, <laughs> he started them off Minions. with no kit and a red dot. Made them start freaking hitting steel. Think, 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 think. So then all of a sudden they're having Confidence. fun. Yep. And then he's like, okay, now yep. we're going to learn the hard thing. And that's how you put this thing in front of those things and do the other thing. And uh, so I don't disagree with at least the training method of like making it fun before you make it hard. Yeah, so, the, you know, like, I, I understand that because site site oh, pictures site alignment that's that's difficult and it's boring yep. when you teach to that, but when you do well, the other one where it's I like think... you're just point and shoot, and you're just using your site alignment based on your visual natural alignment, it makes it more fun because then you're not doing a lot of thinking and you're just plinking. Now this is where I agree well, with I what Trey that... said and what Jackson both said, right? And this is coming from. My pappy, and I'm sorry I interrupted you, Jackson. This is coming from growing up on the farm, right, and being taught, right? Mm -hmm. My pappy taught hunting, fishing, everything, right? His his method was you learned, just like you said. I'm going to teach you the simplest, easiest way to do this, Mm -hmm. right? Keep it simple, stupid. No, 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 no. And I'm going to get to that, right? (laughs) It's, It's simple, Simon. You're right. Right, but it's or simple, stupid. Right, you keep it simple. You break it down Barney style. Mm-hmm. Right, because why? Because it's easy for you to learn and retain. And then you retain it. And right. You're like, oh shit, I'm having fun. This mm-hmm. is easy. I'm a badass. Well, it's the same and thing with sports. But hang on, know? right? You're true. But it, then it's like, 
just and this is where I feel like a lot of courses should implement this shit. Yeah. It's like, okay, now I'm gonna. Oh, now you got your ego. Mm-hmm. You're built up because you're doing good. Well, now I'm you know, that's the thing ass. with most people. We now, have the ego it's, going, but so it's, it's like tough. now I'm gonna humble your ass, and you're going to eat that humble pie, right? Yeah. And my pappy. Oh, you don't want to eat it? Well, fine. I'm gonna shove it down your throat. You're Force gonna feed. set out. You're yeah. gonna set out here, and you're gonna shoot. A hundred. You're gonna shoot these next twenty boxes of ammo. I don't care if you hit shit. You are gonna shoot all twenty boxes of ammo because right. you gave attitude. Yep. You're gonna learn humility, and you're gonna appreciate the so that, easiness that... of that technique. But you're also gonna understand and appreciate that easiness of that mm. technique is not always available. Right. That ties into the gun safety portion. I interrupted Jackson. I know. Jackson, what do you got to say? Sorry. I was going to say, like, when it comes to army ranges, and especially from a conventional side, that was my big pet peeve, was yelling on ranges. And, like, I have a story that goes with it. I was at Bliss at the time, and we're, they always pass infantry dudes at NCOs out to run the range for the support guys. I had this, I think she was from Africa. And she didn't speak English real well. She'd been like Dan, never held guns before she joined the military. And this other team leader, he was just screaming because she wasn't getting it. And I finally tapped him out, and I was like, let me give it give it a go. I sat down next to her. I was like, are you having fun right now? And she was like, shook her head. She was like, no, not at all. She was terrified. Yeah. I was like, well, let's just have some fun with it. Screamed. And I broke it down like that. I told her, take her kid off which he shouldn't have been wearing anyways on a zero group and zero range. And I was like, let's just have some fun with it. And lo and behold, once she got herself grouped in zero, we went out to the fall range and she ended up shooting like sharpshooter for a support person who'd never touched a gun before they joined. Like I, I'd say that's a pretty good day for a support. Absolutely. That's important. And that just brought me, it it reinforced all of it. I was like, why are you going to scare people on a range? Where it's already a tense environment, you know what I mean? Especially for a noob, like somebody that's a non non controlled explosion. Yeah, you're trying to do it over and over and over again, and not. Yeah, yeah, and it's freaky because there you see the videos out there of people that have the gun go off and it blows the barrel up and everything else. And so I mean, yeah, yeah, I get it. There's a level of fucking anticipation and scaredness there. Like that. Yeah, so like I'm I'm a big fan. Of like Trey said, like go ahead and let them have some fun and yeah. build their confidence up, and then introduce them to a harder task. What do you got, Ryan? But, you know, like, this I think that go. segues into your next segment of gun safety. This yeah. has to be it, edited, it but I have well to ask that. before I forget it. Mm. Hey, Vance, Harvey, what? You're still doing it. Yep. What? Okay. All right. I want to do something. Yeah, we can talk about it later. But I, I had to say it before. All right. Yeah, Advanced carbine. If I forget, then I forget about it. All right. So gun safety, it's a, that's always, anybody that does deals with gun, that's the paramount thing, right? Safety. That's always what we taught. It's what we teach. Anytime I teach people to shoot guns, that's the first lesson that I give them is gun safety, right? 100%. Everybody here agrees that don't ever point at anything unless you want, don't point at anything unless you wish to. It dead or destroyed. Correct. Right? Correct. That's good. Yep. Well, don't. I, do, would, what? I could qualify that a little bit. What? <laughs> so, in the CQB environment, sometimes your <laughs> muzzle 
does pass things that you don't want to destroy, but it's understood that it's okay. It, you try not to make it happen, but it can happen. There's a little flagging that so, does happen, and, right? And but that's that where the Navy somebody... SEALs try to train the Green Berets in the high port versus low port, right? So you can go through both of them. Right now, the, the uh, low ready is better than up. the high, although I'm more comfortable with the high, but the low is uh, apparently faster now. So, okay. So what is what is being trained yeah. right now in the kill house? What is the preferred method? Low low ready. Low ready is the preferred method. Yes, sir. And okay. when we say the kill house, are we talking cephalic here? Yeah, cephalic. Okay. For those that don't know, what is CQB cephalic? environment. CQB, which is close quarters combat, for those that aren't yeah, familiar ur- with. Urban combat inside yeah. of a house. Yeah. Um, do you leave your gun loaded or unloaded in your in your house, Trey? Both. And why would you do both? Because sometimes he gets lucky and other times he don't. No. Gener- generally speaking, I've got one <laughs> in the pipe. Uh-huh. Reason, reason being is I've also uh, taught my children uh, not to mess with it unless they want to. Uh-huh. If they want to, then they ask. Okay. So I don't make it a secret. Yep. And so because it's not a secret or something scary, then they generally are good with like, hey, can I do the thing? And I say, absolutely. Um, however, I also have a year and a half or 18-month-old. Uh-huh. So that one doesn't know. Right. Not yet. So those are either out of reach or in the safe. Okay. But generally speaking, if I have a gun in the house, it's going to be hot. Prior to children. Yes. Did you leave them loaded all the time? All the time. And, and why was that? <clears throat> so just because it's faster. Okay. So for efficiency's sake, you left efficiency. them loaded, right? Yep. Yep. It's kind of like one of those things when you're concealed carrying one in its chamber versus not, right? Correct. I, I don't mind either or. I think I'm, it's kind of goes down to the, um, <clears throat> like the holster or the um, holster or like um, the hip versus appendix, whatever it is. It doesn't really matter. And I think this is a really great way that. It's just the way you train. A long time ago, a guy was like, you can tell me the caliber of my gun as it's going through your eye, right? So the point of that is that I'm good with what I have in my hands. So. You can argue with me that after I've put you on the floor. Okay. I right. like that. Again, I like so the methodology. Regardless whether it's appendix, if it's behind you, if it's on your um, kidneys, if it's mm-hmm. – doesn't matter. As soon as I'm good with it, I'm going to burn you down. Once I'm lethal, then that's it. Done deal. Okay. Right? So if if you're good with carrying with an uh, empty chamber, mm-hmm. that's great. You just train that way. And that's how you go. If that's what your preference is. Okay. If you're happy with having one in the pipe. You do it that way, and as long as you're good with it, it's all good. Okay, Ryan, how do you how do you normally rock it? Do you leave them loaded or unloaded? So, pistol wise, yeah, I always have a loaded pistol. Shotgun wise, because I tend to keep a pump shotgun around, it stays unloaded. Yeah. And the re- the the reason behind the pump shotgun is that quintessential. You get to hear that rack coming down the hallway, right? That's that scare tactic. Statistically, that is one of the most intimidating sounds. Oh, 100%, I agree. I don't know about it on the planet, but in the United States, the racking of a shotgun in the dark is one of the most intimidating sounds people say. I think the most intimidating sound is, I'm pregnant. Well, I mean, that's for you. 
But for me, <laughs> for me, right? I always have a lo- a pistol that's beside me that's racked, right? Right. But I like that shotgun that's right there too, because mm. when I rack that round, by God, right? You know, it's, you, you know, back out the way you came in. I'm about to take this round that's coming out of this 12 gauge, and I'm going to now. Do you put slug you. or or buck or what I do you put in it? Oh, you alternate. Okay. So your first round you're getting. Is usually buckshot just because I want. I just want a max just a warning. Yeah, okay. so, oh so no, I want you, max coverage. You might, you might, you guys might be familiar with it, and I know that they make it in four ten because I had a judge mm. for a while. Oh and yeah, the uh, contender commander made by Smith and Wesson now can do like forty five and uh, so, four ten. So you have the Taurus mm. judge that yep. does it's the revolver. Yep. It does four ten and it does forty five long colt. Yep. You have the circ judge. The circuit circuit judge. judge made by Rossi, which is a shotgun well, revolver. I'm talking about the revolver. It's mm-hmm. a shotgun revolver that does 410. Yeah, but the 410, they have like different cartridges you that you put in there that have the different loads. Winchester PDX1 mm-hmm. shoots three discs and BBs. Yes. Yeah, and they even have ones that do fletchets. Flechettes, yeah. Or flechettes, or however the but French can, say it. But see, I can take. <laughs> see, the difference here is. Wee oui, wee. Oui. I can take my 12 gauge and I can run. Triple out buck shot down the hallway. You can also get PDX ones for those. Yes, you can. Oh, yeah. You know, I'd yes, love that. I would love to have but a five me, seven. What I'm at, I would right, be great. So let's 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 back it up here, right? So your shotgun pattern, based off what you're oh. shooting, you have a pattern, mm-hmm. right? There's a spread pattern, normally. Right. Yeah. So right. if I'm shooting, and I'll let you put nine, a choke on there or whatever. If I'm shooting nine pea-sized lead pellets mm-hmm. down a 24 inch wide hallway. In a nine, in a someone's gonna get something. Nine yeah. foot, you know, nine panel configuration, yeah. three, 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 someone's, three by three configuration. Someone's You're gonna hate their life. Something. Yeah. The next thing that's coming down that hallway is a twelve gauge slug. Okay. Okay. That's kind of why I like revolvers right. for my uh, my wife. Yeah. Revolvers yeah well, revolvers right, are simple because you know jam. You don't even have to just. I'm gonna put those things in there. And all you have to do is just like squeeze in the general direction, yeah. and you're gonna catch something. Right? Yeah. What about you, Jackson? Oh, I, I think my preference is always around safety. You know, me and my girlfriend, who I'm probably gonna marry, we're pro- we are here alone. We don't have any kids, and when kids come visit, they're all old. Most of our friends' kids are old enough that we can explain to them if you just ask you can see whatever you want in the house so when especially you say the round guns safety, but you, you know it till you unload. sure <laughs> <laughs> but like you know we have we have predators out here we're right against the bighorn mountains mm-hmm. and we have links we have bobcats we have mountains so i keep the 30 30 on the shotgun loaded right at the front door on a gun rack because i've had to use them before and you know it's just different, you know. If me and Nan end up having kids, yeah. we'll probably will lock away unnecessary guns, so we'll keep the necessary guns loaded. Uh-huh. And I believe in Trey's philosophy of when you're raising kids, you teach them that it's not this big scary thing. All they gotta do is ask, and they can touch it. Right the thing. So like on on the just, on that point, it's just another thing in the house. On that point of leaving them loaded, when you guys go to clean your guns, are you worried about an AD? Accidental discharge. Oh, never. No. There's no such thing as an AD. 
The only thing you have an AD with is with a woman. Like, <laughs> that's called premature ejaculation. If a guy but that's different. Frequently. Yeah. And yeah, that's an AD. <laughs> that's an AD. That's a total different <laughs> like, type. Hey, there's four fundamentals. Okay, there's four fundamentals. That means your pull ga- pullout right? game is weak. There's four fundamentals, and those do not oh, translate boy, what, to your pullout I open game. Up? I haven't seen your underside in, like, a month so uh yeah that's two <laughs> seconds long it's two seconds more than you needed yeah, yeah no, there, no all right so best gun suited for home defense trey what is what What would you say is the best suited gun if you're doing home defense because everybody knows when you're doing home defense you have to worry about your loved ones right and so if they're across the house let's say you have kids and you have a split house right you have a the master on one side and the, the kids' rooms on the other side. Exactly what we have, yep. And you have an intruder that comes in, and you're worried about rounds going through walls and penetrating before you can get your kids to safety. What is the best home defense gun or home defense round that you would use in that type of scenario? So, to be honest, I have no idea because I've never done it. However... If I was going to choose one, it would be that revolver with some version of a shotgun shell. Okay. Yeah. As long as you know what's beyond your target. And that's the that's one of those things where, where we talk about yeah. uh, gun safety and stuff, knowing where your foreground and your aft ground. And... It would definitely be some version of a soft point, maybe even a subsonic, something mm-hmm. to get effect, probably more scary than anything else, just to stop whatever is going so that way. That way so like a bird yourself... shot maybe? Yeah, just like uh, the PDX PDX one is something that I I like. I'm not trying to tout this thing. I'm not no, that's Winchester, fine. But like three discs and BBs. Mm-hmm. If you get hit with a disc, uh-uh. so what do you think about frangible rounds? Frangible rounds is it oh, is I something? That, I think they're awesome. So you think that would be an yeah, effective even, home even defense soft, round, or even a soft point? If if I were to like just want a caliber, let's say I wanted a thirty thirty, mm-hmm. but I wanted to use it for home defense because I wanted I, I'm really good with a lever action. I would use soft points. Okay. Some type of hunting round. So no that's gonna transfer no full energy. metal jackets, no well, penetrating rounds at nothing. all because they're going to travel until they stop and yep. do something. What you, what you want is energy transfer, 100%. Right. And so the soft points that you can get, man, as long as they can transfer 100% of the energy, then it's not going through. And so anything behind that is not going to play into Jackson, you concur with that? Or do you have a different viewpoint as a uh, infantryman? No, I agree a hundred percent. Like if shotgun rounds dissipate really quick, even with the twelve gauge, I mean, I'd even venture to say hollow points. It really just depends 100%. on how your house is built. Are you in like a lightweight construction place, mm-hmm. or are you on like an old ranch house like I am that has solid beam trusses? Like you know, and I've plaster walls, so I can go ahead and I can blast my hollow points out of my my pistol. And know that it's probably going to stop whatever it hits. Yeah, I mean, it's so, all subjective to where you're at, right? Yeah, but you already outlined. I think that you already. Like, I did give parameters. I did you give parameters. Yeah. Parameters. But it's it's still it's still subjective as to where you are at. Like if you're in a brick building and you have you're an apartment complex, you know, I mean, you might be worried about shooting around off and it goes I through and it, it might accidentally go into like three apartment rooms. But next the, to you the easiest way to do that is just say what is the best That's, overall home defense weapon i think i think it's that uh 410 uh, revolver yeah just because it's anything with a laser i guess too. yeah 
Okay. Like, I, like an actual visible laser. So you guys wouldn't do. You guys wouldn't do. You guys wouldn't do like a. Um, I, so I will. So say you guys this. wouldn't do like rubber bullets. You wouldn't do anything like Why anything. I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm just saying. Because you know, you know, some people out there might. Care. I'm trying to make you believe. I'm just saying. Care. You know the oh, people. You that, fell through my and cut yourself. No, 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 no. We're going to make sure there's no more Right, cuts. but there are people out there that are going to be like, oh, well, why would you use rubber bullets? Why wouldn't you use pepper spray? Why care. wouldn't you that use this? Like it. and it's like, well, you know, I'm defending my that home. Sound like it. And depending on where I live at in the country. I think it's the audacity. What yeah. you say, Jackson? No. I, I think it's the audacity of somebody wanting to come into my home that's my safe place. Right. Like, and it, I, I, think, I think no matter where you are on the political spectrum, I think no matter – how liberal you are, how conservative you are, that's one thing everybody can agree on is they feel safest in their home. Right. And, and you know, if you have the audacity to take that safety away from me, mm. then I get to – it's my turn to choose. Right. You made your choice of taking that away from me. Okay. So I get to choose how I handle the situation, and nobody else can judge you on that. Yes, sir. No, I agree. Like I'm gonna give you. I agree. Courtesy. I'm just. I'm just being devil's advocate. That's <laughs> that's pretty much what I try to do. Devil's advocate, smell's yeah. advocate on and this shit. Nerman, nerman, I am. I am 100. I am a firm believer in your warning is the rack of the round out of my 12 gauge. That is your. Well, warning. that's that's you. But that's I'm just saying. But I'm, if talking, if I'm so trying to if I'm trying preferences here, I'm giving you mine. Right. Mine is that firm rack of that 12 gauge. Okay. I wouldn't. Right? I wouldn't even give him a warning. That's. I, I'm with Trey on this. I, I I like the element of surprise, and I don't want to give my position away, so I'm not going to have anything that's going to tell you where I'm at for audible or otherwise, because I know the layout of my house. And if I hear you break into my house, I hear you, and I'm racking a 12 gauge. You're dead already. Well, you're in. You're not getting back out where you came from before I shoot you. Right. I think we're generally agreeing anyway. So we're we're 100 in agreement. If you enter our domains, you're dead. You do not leave. Period. (laughs) Dead right? men don't talk. Right? right? Now, yeah, if I'm... I was in a bigger house, if I was in a bigger place than what I am in, and I have kids and whatnot, then by all means, I'm going to run my 45. Okay. And I'm going to punch a 45 hollow point right through you. All right. So you're hollow point. Right. You're 410. Jackson sounds like he's also a frangible I, I or 410. Or a French. Right. Yeah. yeah. Some, some frangible I think, I think round. I 300 blockout has some I pretty cool applications. I think that would be a good application because everybody likes an AR platform and you can I run think, that and rock it and fucking. What do you got, Jackson? Well, I think at the end of the day, when it comes to kids and your family, mm-hmm. it's like Nan and I rehearsed it of what happens. We do it in the car. What happens if somebody comes up to our vehicle? Mm hmm. We do it with the house of what happens. If some, and we have full intentions of when we have kids, because yep. we've talked about that's it. smart. Of we'll, we'll rehearse it just like a fire drill. Well, and that's something you know? we're taught and in the military is you got to rehearse. Noise, that way you're not caught with your pants yeah, down and don't know what the fuck to do. Uh, 100%. If you walk you know, up to my I, vehicle yeah. and I am not on Oh, base, you're in trouble. You're in like trouble. Like 100%. Yeah. I have practiced, and I will say this, and I will I have a cre- gun pointed at the door I waiting. Will credit, I will credit this to Jackson. <laughs> I will credit this to Jackson 100%. I have a oh 45 with Let's hollow points yeah. that is going to bust your gut before you even get right. to my door. Yeah, see, we're all it's we're right all trained in like boom, a boom, similar boom. mentality. It's it, like it's there. I'm taking you down before you can take me down because oh, yeah. I prefer to live yeah, because I have something to live for. Well, so. As soon as I see the threat, I, I've assessed. Right. Because 
just like the military teaches yeah. you, you have this window to assess. Well, right? Want, it's want, a millisecond to re- yeah. assess too. I want, I want to adjust this a little bit. Oh, okay. let's hear right? it. Because because we got a bunch of testosterone. Yeah. Jackson, you you can tell me what you think too. But I, all our dicks are getting seen, hard right now. Oh, 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 and I, and I love oh, testosterone. Have you seen my gut? How much testosterone do you think we have here? Okay. You probably you probably got more than some. <laughs> not, I ain't gonna deny not that. Yeah. I can still You'll perform very second. well. Anyway, good Trey. <laughs> However, uh, what has been taught or what is being taught is kind of the um, preferred technique as far as when it comes to uh, an engagement in a civil environment is actually is as is actually time and space. Yeah. So no, that's important. Like yeah, if if you can just get away from it. Yep. Then that's better than actually doing the thing. Yeah, running is better than engaging. In most 100%. most yeah. most instances, running is better than engaging, and that's not not just in the military, but they're even teaching that in schools. They're teaching that uh, to police departments. They're, they're that's that's a methodology that's being passed along. Is that fleeing the think, scene is nine times out of ten safer for you to you know, survive for sur- survivability so sake, I have right? To say that. Now, if you're worried about taking down the predator or oh, whoever it is, or if my kids are behind me, then no, sure, I'm standing yeah, my I'm ground standing right there, right. And, and I'm, I'm taking down. Yeah, until it's done. and well, I will, from... I will fucking take 100%. 20 bullets in 100%. me, and I will. They they can get as far away from the the point of contact as, as they can, but we got Jackson. So I think this goes into another segment of personal protection and defense because none of this is offensive. I think that that should be another thing that's blatantly put out here in this podcast. Like it's all about protecting and you're in a defensive mindset of defending your family, your home or wherever. But I think what most people don't get into is they go to the range, they learn how to shoot, they get certified, they dry fire, all this good jazz. And they're like, all right, I'm good to go. But they don't pay attention to other skills that could prevent the whole situation in the first place is is situational awareness, right? Uh, security measures in your home, right. how you present yourself when you're in public. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I haven't got picked on at a bar, and I'm in a place where you have a bunch of hothead wannabe cowboys and stuff. Yeah, but when I, I look at you, at you're bar, unavailable, and I'm not attracted to you, so I'm not going to hit on you. <laughs> you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, he, he's right in some senses. I mean, I, I always go, when people ask me about this subject, I always go with, one, if you're going to carry something every day, practice carrying a tourniquet. Because there's no such thing as a tourniquet-free zone. No, and I and, have you know, I have plenty like, of those in, in America, my vehicles. Like, and I and I, I think I attribute that to the same thing as everyone else in this room, is that TCCC teaches you that preparedness is essential because without that, you're left with your pants down in the worst possible moments. And I think you can agree to that. Well, I think it's, I think it's America. Like you, you have such an availability of healthcare. Why would you bleed out? It's the dumbest thing to bleed out. I'm a huge Nobody, fan of North American rescue. Nobody's going to bleed the, out uh, anymore. You know what I mean? All that. Like, like yeah, we're taught like, if you get you shot, can, if, you, if you don't like we're even taught if you don't have a, a simple device like right. a, a $30 tourniquet yep. available to you, you, you very well could bleed out. Or and it's ridiculous of why and the stigma 
of you have to worry about a mass shooting or whatever and need a tourniquet, then it's just ridiculous. I've seen people cut themselves in the kitchen. You know my, I've seen people cut. You know, I've been to parties. But I've cut myself with a chainsaw. You know my favorite like, thing to carry you can't is? get away from the back. My favorite what? thing to carry is a tampon. A condom? Mm, tampons. Oh. You know why? It stops yeah. bleeding. It stops why? bleeding. Because they absorb blood? Yeah. 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 So if you get yeah. shot, and then you're in an instance, especially in a combat area, and you get shot, a tampon is like, it's the best thing to have because it's it's literally it literally has the applicator attached to it, and you can thrust it into, um, whatever hole that you have, stop stop the bleeding, and carry well, on I, with your whatever you're I going think, on with, and then the guy that's sitting there or gal that's I, sitting there that has a sucking chest wound. Obviously, you're gonna do extra for a sucking chest wound, but say you have a gut shot. Probably not, obviously. Yeah, but, but but if you have a gut shot and it doesn't penetrate, and you're like, okay, let me just stick this tampon in there, and I can stop the bleeding, you know, Hopefully. at least stem it a little bit. And then if I have quick clot or something else, maybe it is I help the rest of it. But nine one one. I think I think if you're in a civilian environment and you have a tampon on you, a tourniquet on you, and maybe some quick clot on you, those are great preventative methods. You're going to survive. Yeah, I think those are great preventative things to have on you. And people that drive on a, a normal road day to day, they don't think of these things. But that's something that we all think about because no. that's what we're trained to think about. It's like, hey, how can I save a life? Yeah. What am I? What do I need at my disposal? right now instantaneously that will save a life and nine times out of ten if you go into any of our vehicles there's a truck bag there's a there's a there's a go bag there's a a shooter bag there's a uh a medic bag there's whatever bag it is we all have something in our vehicle ready to help remedy somebody that's in distress whether it's a uh, I need to uh, make a makeshift stretcher because I have a a wool a woobie in my my vehicle or uh, a wool blanket. I need to do a makeshift medic right now. I've got to get an IV ready because a lot of a lot of the guys that are infantry or Green Bray or whatever they usually have some some method that they can get you ready to accept an IV. Don't do fluids anymore. Really. That's not a trained thing anymore. They don't. No. They don't train it anymore. It, what? It is. No, it's not a training thing. We just don't push fluids. Right it is and it isn't. Really? Correct. Holy so you shit! Don't, don't you don't push? Fluids have come full circle. So the cool part about really my experience, yeah, I'll them. adjunct real quick, is is I got I was a fireman. I'm old. In, out right outside DC before I joined the army, and then. I got my EMT before I was a fireman. And then when I got to 10th Mountain, they're like, oh, cool, you got your EMT. We're going to send you this advanced medic course. So I got to do, like, cool medical stuff and have those opportunities as well as doing the infantry thing. And one of those things that's come full circle is you watch MASH, and all they did was try to push blood, blood, blood. And then now you got G the beginning of GWAT, and everybody pushed IV fluids, and they realized that was a bad idea. So they just stopped everybody pushing fluids. Interesting. Because they're causing more harm than good. Hmm. So now it's starting to cut. It's slowly starting to come back into it of pushing 
some kind of fluid, but the concentration's more on blood. They have these things called yep. vampire kits. Yep. And they and they teach you that you're gonna go replace blood before you push push saline any day of the week. Okay. You'll start a line because you can push a lot of great things like you can push ketamine and it doesn't have any of the contraindications mm-hmm. of fentanyl or morphine no, or that's those true, other yeah. meds. And you can go ahead and push TSA, which is a, a anti-clot or clotting thing, so you're not blowing clots when you're pushing fluids. You can push uh, ernapetum, which is a broad-spectrum anti- or antibiotic. But the idea of, oh, well, it's, I got to replace fluids because they lost a bunch of fluids, that's kind of out the door. And for people who aren't trained in that realm, they do, to Trey's point, say, don't try to push fluids right away. Because it's better to try to keep blood inside the body and keep them breathing first instead of trying to fix it with this man-made stuff. Okay, so the it's triage better in the, body the triage that's being body taught now is different than what I was taught. It's different than when we all came in. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah, all four of us. The triage now yeah, is different. But part of that is like any other training. It's radical. Things different. adapt, things change. Well, yeah, because now I, I know uh, when I did CPR, right? Let's 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 cover that real quick. This is a segue off the fucking topic. But CPR used to be taught twenty compressions and then a couple, a couple, yeah, a couple breaths and then compressions for the chest and then a couple breaths. But I never got taught CPR. So now I think it's just all breaths. I don't think there's any sort of chest yeah. compressions at all. No, no, it's no, no, it's opposite, Dan. Oh, it is so opposite. So it's all chest compressions and not. It is opposite. You're talking to. So no, you, that's good. your blood, your blood can keep, or your your brain keep oxygen in it for up to ten minutes without breathing. Okay. No, your blood, the the O2 that comes through your pulmonary vein, yep. because that's also backwards, keeps oxygen in it longer. So it's better to go ahead and keep compressing the chest and circulating blood throughout the body than it is to waste your time. Because most of the time, unless you have a bag valve mask or you're going to get an advanced airway, you're not mouth to mouth isn't going to give you effective oxygen exchange in the lungs. So it's better off for you to spend the first 10 minutes to keep circulating the oxygenated blood that's in there. Right. Than it is to try to waste your time with these these wasted breaths. Dude, are, so are, the, are the breaths out just like CO2? Are they? Do they actually have anything that would help you? Like if I'm if I'm sucking on your face and blowing air into your lungs, it's all exhaled so there's not a lot of oxygen in there right exhaled stuff still has oxygen in it and it's still so unless it's like the the bag that you put on your face what if you what if you do that bag with the mask mask? yeah the bag valve mask that would be better than me blowing in your face right i'm just saying if trey blows in my face there's something else coming up other than my chest he's blowing nuts in your face that's different No, to I'm totally saying <laughs> yeah, than my chest rising, something else is gonna be rising. All so right. if if I'm me. a new if I'm a new gun okay. owner, guys, if I'm a new gun owner and I want to overcome my fears of Five gun seconds. ownership, mm. what would you recommend? I got this. How, wait, 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 wait. No, I want to know your mm. truck gun. No, we're gonna get what back Trey to we'll it. go back to that. But okay. no, what Trey had? I want Trey to I want Trey to elaborate on the question I asked. I just fired off there. That was a fire and forget question. So I actually got this. Okay. So I did reloading for a while. I had a um, an S Corp, which is essentially like an LLC, but different, but the same. 
So anyway, <clears throat> point being, I made ammo for a while. Mm-hmm. And through that, that's when you get into when guys that either reload or shoot USPSA or whatever it is, they all know this stuff. Mm-hmm. And you get a heavy bullet and you make it go subsonic. Okay. And it's nice and soft. Yeah. Teach women, teach kids, teach anybody that doesn't or might be scared of some version of an explosion. Because unless you're running some version of a, what we call a compensator or a muzzle brake, but really it's a compensator on a pistol, um, you're going to get a controlled explosion in your hand. So you run things that are a little bit softer. It takes some stuff, but you run soft ammo, and it's super cool. Okay. So that is your method for helping new gun owners that are afraid. Not scared. To use something subsonic. Go find subsonic ammo, and it will change your life. And then migrate progressively from the subsonic to supersonic ammo. This, yeah. At the end of the day, the um, not the end of the day, but anything defense is uh-huh. probably going to be like a lower grain weight bullet. Right. It's going to be lighter, the mm-hmm. projectile itself, um, but it's going to be going faster. So, so let's so say we energy. If I have a new shooter, right, and I want to make it the least amount of intimidation for them i would put them behind a 22 and make it a 22 subsonic suppressed 22 subsonic 100 that way it has the least amount of fear factor now when you say suppressed subsonic are we talking you're putting a suppressor on your 22s absolutely yeah in addition to the sub yeah Mm -hmm. speaking your microphone yeah yeah you'll you'll barely hear it yeah. Really? So oh. add a suppressor in addition to the substance. I wouldn't yes. do that. I wouldn't do that on a pistol, just because it like adds a lot of muzzle weight, which kind right. of changes. But right. for a long, long for gun. Long gun. Hundred percent. On really? a pistol, on a pistol, just subsonic ammo, and it'll be a world of difference. Yeah. I, I, I've had a lot I of success with it. Ammo, I can tell you. But the, the suppressor kind of threw me off. Yeah. Um, when it comes to. I can tell you how I did. I can tell you how I did with my mom because my dad passed away mm-hmm. so obviously my mom was alone and she was kind of like well i don't have my protector around anymore so she was what in her late 50s learning how to use a gun which is yeah. i'd argue more scary than uh, a younger child trying to use a gun mm-hmm. learn how to use a gun and what we really hammered on was we dry fired for like three weeks before we ever went to the range right Every single night, it was. Here's how you load. Did you put the you Did you put the penny on the the barrel? Handle it. No, because I got her. I started her on my Glock 19X, mm-hmm. and then she ended up buying a 43X. So, and uh, we we dry fired for like three weeks straight, where she was getting used to the rack of the slide with loading, and we we're using dummy rounds, obviously. And she got used to dry firing. She got her form right. So by the time we got to the range, we had done step one through nine. All she had to do is make the thing go bang. Right. So I don't know. What, I don't know what step one through nine is, Jackson. Her getting over the it's one through nine. <laughs> I know one step through four. One through nine. Yeah, I know one through. I know one through four. What's one through? Okay. Nine? <laughs> I was hypothetically. Oh, going okay. Gotcha. Nine. I was just saying there's. <laughs> yeah. 
you go through the four men. Well, you know, there's like the you gotta you cut go the balls. You gotta, you know, there's a lot to it. Gotta stroke. Gotta move. Gotta. Yeah, you know, you gotta I'm spit saying, on it. You gotta, I'm just saying, you totally set yourself up. Move one way. hand down, one forward. You know, it's a lot. There's a lot there. I thought I there were nine steps, I and I was like, what are up. they? Because I don't know them. Yeah, Steve, no. we're talking technical here, and you fucked it up with nine steps. No, yeah. God. my God. All right, you Jackson. Write, you can so, write draws down to nine steps. So, but you, anyways, you do that, and that works. Gentlemen, what is the best truck gun? If you're going to have I one... I want to hear yours first. I will give mine first. first. But for think about this. All four of you, think about this. Best truck gun. For me, the best truck gun is my pistol. Whatever I'm carrying on me for my, my personal carry is going to be my best truck gun. Now, if we're talking best truck gun for backup to my pistol, it's going to be some sort of rifle that I have on me. But best truck gun, in my mind, is whatever I have on my person. Okay. Now, I look at truck gun, right? Because when we talk truck guns, people don't talk truck guns as in pistols, right? They talk, they talk truck guns as in a design, a gun that is designed to maneuver and shoot from inside the truck. In a confined space of a truck. Right. Typically a higher caliber than a pistol, mm -hmm. right? For me, my preference is a 300 blackout all day long. Okay. I don't have the ricochet coming out of the glass that I do have a high, that I have from a 556. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to worry about my round deviating no, or anything fine. if I have to punch through the glass. Well, now, you only granted, really have to worry about that on the first round. Yeah. You put the muzzle to the glass. I agree. Send it, and then from there on, there's no more. Right. Because now you, if you repeat through the same area of but effect, no you're going to have. through the front windshield. The other but ones there's are just no, Right. There's no guarantee you're repeating through that same windshield. Same. Well, depends there, what side you're going through. If you're shooting right. through the same spot. If and, no. If I'm shooting through the front windshield, okay, cool. If I have to traverse. traverse Inside the vehicle, we're talking right. about changing. Okay. Well, my normally when I I'm driving my side windows down anyway, so I don't have to worry I about anything because I don't have a working AC. Okay, but what I'm getting <laughs> at is I want maximum effectiveness out of that first round. Mm -hmm. I don't want to necessarily wait for my second. Oh, yeah, or third well, the round. first round is normally going to be a miss. And it doesn't care. Generally and speaking, of not miss mistook in here. Gunfights in the civilian world really only last about three rounds. You're right. Agreed. So You're why right. can't I make my name yep. in that first round with the 300 blackout? To be honest, you don't probably You're, have to. Yeah. I, I think as soon as you to, present the not? weapon, they're going to fucking I'm not disagreeing with you. But, I mean, I but, think the first round should be the most effective. Exactly. So if I want... So what I'm getting at is like, and I understand. And I know they teach this in like the tier one assets rude. that if you shoot at a certain angle, you can fucking make sure that that round is going to hit where you want it, your desires. Yes, you're correct. But for the average person... going to hit, because if you're off by the slightest little... Yeah, but on a tier one, tier one assets, way. they're taught exactly all those fucking trajectories. tier two, tier threes. We, yes, we yeah, they're, they're still taught. They're taught all that shit. At the end of the day, you're not going to do it. Nobody. You're just, just going to do whatever you think is exactly. best for me. Exactly, and what I think right. is best for me and anyone else in my vehicle is a 300, by, 300 blackout. All right. Trey, what do you think? To punch out. Okay. Uh, I tend to agree with you that the first thing that I'm going to uh, go for is my pistol. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't 
generally run a truck gun. Right. I'm not saying that I shouldn't. So then you don't if have I, a truck gun. If I was going to run that a truck gun. That is a gun, gun, dumbass. So my 300 blackout right now isn't really uh, printing <laughs> as great as I want it to. So if I'm going to shoot in and around civilians that I don't want to shoot, I want to be pretty darn accurate. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to be my 43x because I'm okay. going to put that thing effective rounds on target. I want it. Okay, yeah. I agree. Uh, Jackson, what do you got? Once again, we go back to like what I'm shooting. That's totally different than what your guys' main thread is. Exactly. I have my 3030 in my truck. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you I know, no. nine awesome. times out of ten, if I'm if I'm getting if I'm getting out of my truck and shooting at something, it's probably a coyote. Or a bobcat or a lynx. So, so it's a matter of Three where your environment really is, and that makes sense. I, I get that. And even and oh, even with that, I, I mean, Jackson, exactly. I'm not trying to. You know better than I do because you're actually in Wyoming. But I mean, I might even do something flatter, like a 243. I would yeah, do a 17 a hammer. It's my grandpa's line of truck. If I'm if I'm out in Wyoming, 30, I'd do a 17 30, hammer. I don't know. Oh, 17 inch hammer. The the 3030. I just. We get we get the negative temperatures, and my thirty thirty is a semi auto, yeah. and oh, that's nice. I leave that gun in there all day long, mm. and so I just know no matter what, I can rip on that thing, and I'm gonna put a round in it, and I've gotten I spend the time to be relatively efficient at it. How is it out to two hundred? You know, like it starts to drop. OBV pretty Gravity heavily, but. Yeah, gravity's definitely a thing, but we're also at higher elevations. Wait, I thought we were flat. Like, I thought we were like on flat spine? Earth. I thought there's no such thing. <laughs> yeah, is it is it like just hold spine or is it like hold over spine? <laughs> Unlike call a coyote. It's probably about. If I was gonna call a coyote, I'd probably just go over spine. Yeah, I believe you. But you know, like I I can hit what I need to hit with it, and and that's about what the time that I spend on the range, you know. But it, it's it's a tried and true. It's robust for the weather, and it's around that I can either shoot a coyote with it, or God forbid, we have grizzlies out here, or we have mm-hmm. wolves, right. and we have moose. Yeah, out thirty here. thirty is a it's universal thing, you know. All round, round. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've had. Yeah, if I'm a rancher, if I'm a rancher, I think a thirty thirty is a good good round to carry. Not not to mention it's sexy as hell when you oh, just yeah. like run that you know lever action and you're right? just. Have you seen the awesome. new lever action AR that they oh, made? Nope. Oh my you know goodness! What? They came out with that for Shot Show. The modernized. Oh my god! Nothing beats nothing beats an old school for our eighty four thirty thirty. Yeah. Nothing beats it. You know what? My do, you, do you have a Marlin thirty thirty or do you have a Henry thirty thirty? No, I have a Winchester eighteen ninety four thirty forty or thirty thirty. All right. All right. All right. Is I think it's dated. I checked the serial number. It's dated between like uh, 1943 and 1945. So when it comes so, to shooting, so how often? How often older, should people? No. How often should people go to the range to be an effective shooter? Anyway, yeah. when it comes to going to the range to make sure you're you're this is a a, a skill that people don't understand. If you don't go to the range a lot. This is a, a a skill that will immediately perish, perish within perish. 
I don't know, let's say three months of it, not shooting. On the person, yeah. Right. If you if you only get a thousand rounds to shoot, and you break it across three months, you might be effective. In the military, we do a lot differently, but if you're a civilian, what is the most effective use of your time to go to the gun range to make sure that you're an effective shooter? From, like, now on the civilian perspective? Right. Oh, man. Well, I guess my civilian life is a little different. I'm usually working 60 to 80 hours a week, so I don't get to shoot nearly as much as I used to. Right. I I think that if you can't shoot as much as you as much as you want because of financial constraints or time constraints, that the best thing you fall back to is dry firing. Okay. Nothing like I I dry fire more than I shoot these days because I just don't have find the time to go to the and I choose not to find the time to go to the range because I end up going out and messing with horses and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. My my priorities have changed. I two but you know, I, I I still go out. I still go out at least like once a month mm-hmm. and go check and make sure what I'm shoot what I carry every day as, as extremely as a priority is still functioning the way it needs to function and that I'm still functioning with that piece of equipment the way that I need to mm. to be effective when I need to use it. That makes sense. But that's my answer. Yeah, I don't disagree. Yeah. No, I don't think any of us would disagree with that. Maybe one idea or maybe <laughs> one way to do the same thing that you're talking about, Jackson, is try and make a mental receipt for every shot you take. Mm-hmm. Right, so if you've only got a few, so what? Did I like I, what that. So what did I do to make that thing effective or ineffective? And so make that receipt so that way you know it mm-hmm. felt like this, it looked like this. And so if you can make that mental yeah. receipt, then you can either replicate it or not replicate it based on success or failure. I like that. I like that a lot. I I really like that. that. That's a, an amazing. I think. As amazing distinction right there. And I think that that's something that other our that... listeners would love to hear is that like, when it's, it's kind of like when you're doing sports and you're taking a, a shot, you're, you're, you're doing a, uh, what does it feel a like? Kick what or what? what yeah. Like? What, how did it feel like? What does it look like? What happened in that repetition? Can it be repeatable? I think when it comes to, when it comes to guns too, though, like, and I've even caught myself with it. Of I've already been this far in the process, just send it. And I've <laughs> changed that mindset to right. telling people and myself of of if it doesn't feel right all the way to the very last step of it, then before you break that trigger, back off and start all over again. No, like don't. I agree. Don't shoot it just. I agree because you've done all the steps up until the point of your trigger breaking to go ahead and send it just back off. There's nothing wrong with backing off your trigger and then going ahead and then just going through it all over again to make sure you're not wasting it. Well, there's such a thing as muscle memory for everything that we do, right? Whether it be lifting, whether it be running, whether it be our our jobs and you're pulling the trigger, it doesn't matter. Whatever you're doing, you need to make sure from start to finish that repetition is precise. And if it's not, then yeah. why are you doing it? So 
Yeah. What do you want? What do you want, Ryan? You hit at me. So let's let's put it from the enablers perspective because you're the contractor that's not in anymore. It doesn't so matter. I still have a gun enthusiast perspective. When I'm, I'm trying. I like this is actually. Don't don't fucking try to cut me down. Uh, I'm gonna cut you down. You can try, but you're not what gonna I'm win on this. Is that this is actually a serious moment. You're still army, is, and I'm still above you. The, not really. So All day long. Is, the fact is, is like what I'm getting at here is, you have the soldiers who don't get the training implemented across the board, mm. like you do. Like I do, like they do, right? right? Because we know people and we work together and right. we practice and all this shit, right? Like one hundred percent, I would put you any day of the week up against some of the GBs that I've had run through the competitions right. that I run, right? One hundred percent, all right. day, all day, one hundred percent would have you come out of five mm. laps and have you pull trigger time all day long. The failure, and this is the failure, in my opinion. Because I am that enabler who sees mm. the big picture. Right. You have all these enablers who don't know shit about any of the things we have just talked. Right. And you know why? Because we're more focused on our instructors than training the people that enable us to do everything else. Yeah, we're, we're a lot we're of mission focused. focused. On, we're mission focused. I won't even call it mission focused because you get so mission focused that you forget your support personnel and they can't do anything because right. they didn't get any training. How's that mission focused? You forgot them. Mm. Well, I, I would offer probably contradictory to that. Like, I don't need you to pull the trigger. I need you to do your job. And whatever that job is, just do whatever it to your best ability. Is, just do that thing. Yeah. At the end of the I'll, day, I agree with that. I'll double advocate like, that. I would though. like to agree with that. I'll double advocate I agree on with you, that actually, behalf because, because we've, we've used enablers a lot for a lot of things, and they're totally unprepared, and it's our fault for doing that. Mm-hmm. But you know, also, if I, I don't, if it. I don't train you to do that, then I just want you to. Well, do that's your why job. we have a lot of classroom before people we deploy don't. now. Uh, we well, don't. for well, I'll, let me caveat that. When I was in JSOC, and everybody would go through a, a class before they would go downrange because they yeah. needed to make sure that they were spun up and and, and informed yeah, what they were getting themselves into, whether they're a desk jockey or a fucking trigger puller or whatever. It was like, hey. You're you're part of this bigger conglomeration. We yeah. need to make sure that you know what you're getting into, and you need to go through classes one through six in order to be an effective enabler or an effective asset. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just the way that was when I was over, you know, in the fenced in compound over there at Bragg. It's just what, the way we ran. What you got, Jackson? What happened over in Nigeria, though? happened like that was the that was the ODA that was out and they had enablers and I'd say like none of those dudes were towers. I'll preface that one hundred percent with that whole situation. Shit but happens. like but no. but those dudes weren't those enablers weren't prepared. Mm-hmm. But like also you could look at you could look at Libya. You you had the GRS guys that were working there's a lot of episodes other, that we there's, can there's we can go you know I I know we can go. And I, I, that's where I double advocate. On yeah, that we can go no, there's back, there's so, a lot of places. Right. Benghazi. What I mean, there's a ton look, of them. They were like, they were unprepared. Look, they were overwhelmed. Look. They were just 
here's what the point I'm getting at. All right, let's break yeah. it down Barney style, like the army says. Right, eighth grade reading level. Let's break it down. Let's go third right? grade for let's everybody go, else. Say it's above me. Right, we'll go third <laughs> grade. Right, what I am getting at here, what what I the point I am pushing is, we're talking all these different techniques, gun control preferences, all this stuff. Right, right. I run a freaking competition every three months that I have to task individuals to come teach enablers proper trigger squeeze, sight picture, all this stuff. Well, right? yeah, because a lot of them don't get that. You're, a lot of the enablers don't get those basics. Ranges and all this stuff. Weapon care. We're on, we're on the cleaning. What what do you got for weapons care there, Jackson? Oh, we're going down. You know, I grew up when I I don't, I don't I think I was grown before I joined the army. The army just molded me into something else. I don't like the whole mentality of I grew up in this phase of the military. But like when I first joined, it was the white glove inspection stuff. And you know, as I took the time to learn more about weapons themselves. I've learned that they're meant to be. It can get swung. There's this perfect medium, I think, where if you're the, I'll go with this. The point that I got to as an NCO was when my guys would ask if their weapon was clean, the first response I'd give them is, if we got in a gunfight right now, would you trust it? And if they said no, then I'd be like, well, then keep on cleaning. And if they said yes, then I'd check it. And I'd be like, well, you're wrong Agreed. or you're right. And I'd go with that. I think I think that's the 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 one question that you gotta ask yourself when cleaning any type of weapon is do I trust this to function the way it's supposed to perform when I need it the most? Whether it's hunting, protecting yourself, getting being in the military and getting a gunfight, if you can answer that one question, then it's clean enough. So I think totally you agree. rely on people who have been there and done that to teach you that. Do you have anything to add or caveat? A little bit. So, no, <laughs> but it's not really a caveat. It's pretty much saying the same thing. Um, I shoot my guns yeah. until something goes wrong. And when something is mm -hmm. unpredictable or unexpected, then it's like, okay, what's going on? But generally speaking, it's very little. I mean, I shoot polymer pistols and bolt guns and ARs, and generally speaking, they're pretty resilient. So, that's kind of how it goes. Mm -hmm. but, so, you, so you guys don't clean it after every shooting. Absolutely not. That's it's a that's no, like one of those things that the not. army beat into the people's brains of like after you go to the gun range, you need to make this thing white glove inspected clean. That's unnecessary as fuck. That's job. in my in my opinion, they're more I'd like say, a cast I'd, iron I'd say uh, uh, cast no. iron pan. Yes, they and need, I agree with that. I because I, I do that with my own firearms is that i i will go I and i will I that analogy yeah because you know you you got to season it you know what i mean because i know every yeah. time i go out to shoot it's predictable like you were saying if if i am shooting and all of a sudden now there's a an anomaly okay what is going on do i need is there too much fouling in my gun is there too much whatever <laughs> is affecting the projectile that i'm putting through this weapon or is it something mechanical? My finger, my my grip, my arm, my stance. Unfortunately, like, I feel like we can bring um, uh, physics into this a little bit more. 
So as far as mm-hmm. which part of physics, right? So are we talking we've, about we've got, the Coriolis got, effect? Are we uh, talking about? Well, we've got metal and we've got oil. Metal is porous. <laughs> oil goes into porous things. Mm-hmm. And when you put those two things mm-hmm. together, how do you get it to operate well? You get them warm, then they open up their pores, seeps in, right? Then it starts operating. So through friction, yeah, yeah, exactly. So we get a little heat, we get a little whatever, and then it's um, and then it's like we talked about the cast iron. It's a season, so right. those right. things need to happen. I in have, my opinion, I have. I to think there's such a thing as over lubricating. There is a such a thing. I agree with I you. I agree with that because if you over lubricate. A cast iron skillet, it does not take the oil. It right. does not don't like take to breathe it. oil. It yeah. doesn't take it. But I have to. What and I don't even want to say necessarily caveat, but I have to add more validity to what, to what we're saying said yeah. on the cast iron. One of the things, and this is, I literally. Had I a, cook on a cast iron. I literally had a moment. No, I had a moment of like my grand, my pappy reincarnate in Trey when he brought up it's when he brought up the equivalent of a cast iron mm. skillet like for instance my pappy one of the, when I got a little older one of the first guns I ever hunted with was a 303 never heard of one british yeah oh yeah 303 Brit- yep. yeah all right so how he got i don't huh. know don't care he had one right and it was a thing where we shot till i couldn't shoot anymore Hmm. Right? Okay, cool. You can't shoot anymore for that? Cool. We'll come back out in another day or two and we'll shoot more. And I would shoot until some malfunction happened. Yeah. And then it's okay, now let's see why why that actual malfunction happened. Hmm. Right? I'm and his big thing was we're not cleaning it till I have that malfunction to determine if the malfunction is based off what my shooting did. Or if it is the weapon system itself. There's only eight things in the cycle of operation. And what are those? Yep. Feeding, chambering, firing, unchambering, extracting, ejecting, and cocking. He's got like it. The man Hallelujah. Said. Like the Jesus man said. Jesus Christ. Hey, when you guys are at the gun range, when you're sighting in your weapons, what is for for your pistols? Versus your long guns. What is your preferred range when you're doing that and why? Jackson, do you want, do you want to go with this one? Because mine is a little bit long-winded. So I don't know if you want to take this and give it your direction or if you want me to yeah, go Yeah, I'll give layman's terms. I'll give the, oh, I'll give oh, the infantry layman's Oh, oh you said that I'm a dummy? Okay, got <laughs> Layman's terms. No I, said, no, I said you're smarter than I am. Layman's is my term of I'm gonna go with the the quick and gritty one. The down and, and dirty. Go the, the down and dirty. Down and dirty. Yeah, I'm gonna explain the how. You're gonna explain the why. Yes, yes, sir. If that makes sense. Anyways, with with pistols, I like starting super short range, like five to seven meters, just because it's such a short barrel that your deviations are gonna be seen way clearer at a really short range. Mm-hmm. And then I'll push out the 25 meters because within that, especially for civilians, that's generally what you're going to engage pistols with. And long guns, I think it's the same thing, but at a longer distance. You know, the infantry, I'll go with what I know. The infantry is really good at figuring out 
the the with a 14 and a half inch barrel at 25 meters you're going to intersect with 300 meters for your your arc of your barrel and with your optic so i always stick with 25 meters and then i go ahead and i confirm at 100 to 150 meters okay and then shoot from there so hide over but hide over bore does with it, like a, when you're when you're optic whatever optic it is that you have do you do you guys factor in your hide over bore for that yeah so for those so those that are listening hide over bore is a mathematical measurement that you're going to take based on where your reticle resides versus where the bore uh, projectile will exit out the bore. And you have to take that into account when you shoot a target, whether it be paper, person, animal, doesn't matter. You need to make sure that you understand that dimensional difference. And so when you're doing this, are you using iron sights optics does it matter are you just continually doing that repetitively whether it's 25 meters 300 meters or otherwise i think it goes back to one knowing your gun like doing the research a lot of people listen to the internet and there's a lot of good things on the internet and there's a lot of dumb things on the internet i think that you have to really get do your due diligence to know your gun because my thirty thirty shoots way different than my AR fifteen. Well, because so, that's a just so, just difference of projectile energy. So that's that's yeah. different. So I I think I think first step is do your due diligence and the gun that you're shooting and what you're working with and know your tool. That's that's the same as like using different types of saws or any tool. Like if mm -hmm. you don't know your if you don't know that tool and what it's meant for and how it's used or designed to be implemented, and then you go and just try willy-nilly it, you're probably setting yourself up for failure nine times out of ten. I agree. So I think ultimately it comes down to go ahead and figure out what, one, if you're even shopping for a gun, what your needs are, and then you buy within what your needs are. And then, two, you learn the inside and out of that, mechanism of how it functions and then you also learn the ballistics of it okay and once you learn the ballistics of it because i can and and trey could probably school me up for counting minutes of angle and all this other crazy stuff that i know we're going to segue into later but when it comes down to a 14.5 ar-15 and a 62 grain 5.56 i can spit it out of the back of my head until i'm probably almost dead in my grave of how it's going to shoot because that's what they tell you to learn. So Same what is what is the muzzle velocity? I, I could go with. The, what is the muzzle velocity of an of a fourteen five with a sixty two thousand nine hundred seventy feet per second? With a sixty or sixty two. And what is the five, five, six, what is the effective range zero. of that? Six hundred. Point target area target. Say again. Six hundred. Yeah. Six hundred meters. Six hundred. Generally speaking. Anywhere from 500 to 600. Yeah, that has that has qualifications five, because like 500 yards grand, per So it depends on where you're at and whether heat and everything. There's and like I said, the Coriolis effect, right? So it depends no. on. <laughs> yes, that exists. Well, it does exist. That it does exist, but like if even if we're gonna go back to like height over bore type stuff, 
Hide of is one of the minuscule things that goes into it. Um, same thing. Um, muzzle velocity is a is a bigger one, and density mm. altitude, which would be temperature and altitude, yep. are more important than height over bore. Right. So, say we're in Africa, right, and I'm in the Sahara Desert, and I am trying to sight in a target that is mm, one mile away. Mm-hmm. Versus, I'm in the mountains of Uzbekistan. And I'm shooting at a target is also also a mile away. Mm-hmm. So now we have cold versus hot, altitude differences. How does that affect how you decide to shoot? So at a at a mile, there's a lot of luck anyway. You're right. A, you got a mile worth of wind. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're right. I got that. <laughs> yep. So okay, at, let's at let's the, shorten it. Let's shorten that range. It would be like. Uh, maybe uh, let's call it a mill in either direction, or let's call it. A well, let's mill let's shorten that. There's like uh, 16 minutes of angle. Call it that. Okay, let's shorten that. Let's go. Um, 300 oh, meters. Let, let, let's go 300 do you, do you meters. Guys, do you guys mind if I ask you a question? No, go for it. So uh, the yeah, question would sure. be, what do you think you are capable of if you had either like let's call it a 308, 65 Creedmoor? Whatever. What is the range that you think that you would be able to make a shot into somebody's nose, and then we can also do it for a magnum, so some version of a 300 wind mag, Norma mag, short action magnum, whatever it is you want to call. So at where what, are we uh, at? At what range? It doesn't matter. At it, what? It range? does. It does matter. Okay. I could say, say out say to 400 meters. I could probably say. Let's stick with Tennessee. 400 meters. I totally agree with you. And that's, that's what JSOC agrees I know to. I could put it in somebody's nose. You know what I was going to say? Yeah. For me? Yeah. Somewhere between. I would say 300 meters for me. So Somewhere for me. 308, 65 Creed. We're meters. talking like 250, 300. Yep. Yeah. If we're talking a Magnum, we're talking like 400. Right. Now, but it also does, it still does depend because of the barometric pressure and everything else that you have to calculate into that round, right? And this is where the nerd comes in. As a gun enthusiast, knowing that wind speed, barometric pressure, altitude, density, everything else comes into like the factoring there. Agreed. And so, if you have if you have the knowledge of what those variables are for your environment, then you can precisely dial in that weapon system to take out your target effectively. Agreed. And if, well, that's the science of snipers versus a regular rifleman. I mean, exactly. disagree with me if I'm wrong, exactly. Trey. Like, let's take. And me I for agree instance. with that. Let's take me for instance. If I don't have the training Trey has, okay. I'm not doing the shooting Trey has. And that's you, why I want to go shooting with Trey be, because I want to be silly about this. Yes, yeah. let's get silly. Let's get silly. So the interesting thing about this, uh huh, what happens if the target is further away? What do you do? You have to adjust. Which direction? Depends. You're right. Let's say you have to go over. What do you do? Go over. You have to adjust that windage. Exactly. So all. So of, I all, not, of, all of what let's we say do we're is gonna say the target. Kentucky where is the target? Range. Let's say the target is 300 meters, right? Yep. And I shoot, and it hits in the dirt. Hold higher. Hold higher, right? right? Like all of what we that's, do that's a, is, that's is a normal Kentucky mathematical with a ruler, right? That's it. 
so it's like not even all of us that have shotguns and and understand this like it's it's physics and we all know when we're pulling a trigger and we send a projectile downrange wherever that downrange might be it might be to a deer it might be to a fucking paper target might be to a person doesn't matter the the end result is still knowing where your projectile is going to end up 100% and so it's all theory though it it theory. is it is theory it's all it theory. is theory but it's theory and practice which makes it a principle so yes. would you agree with that Trey it's pretty predictable it is predictable, which makes it a principle. How, however, comma. <laughs> however, How, comma. How, however, comma. Last week I went out. To... Pause for dramatic effect. <laughs> yeah, big time. So I thought I, I thought I knew a bunch of stuff. I mean, I've been doing this for fifteen, call it sixteen years, mm-hmm. pretty much. And I went out uh, to Idaho last week, and I have never experienced a vertical uh, shift in impact like I experienced there. Just based off of cross canyon stuff, right? So there. So even though, so I'm looking down this thing, and I'm like, I got it. I see all the effects that say that I need to do X, Y, Z. Right. Send it. Opposite of that. Okay. And I say, okay. Now all I have to do is adjust to whatever I saw and do it, and it worked. But it's absolute opposite of what we see so that's the importance of downrange observers right because downrange observers like when you have it's really yourself to be honest but if you have a downrange observer they can they can give you real-time feedback and tell you like hey by the way once you hit this range you have a differential of it of temperature you have a differential wind you have all these differentials that all of a sudden you have to equate into that mathematical equation that you're doing real time in your brain. You're like, okay, I know the bullet's going to do this. It's going to hit this area where there's a a drop in uh, barometric pressure. There's a crosswind that I didn't realize was there of 20 mile fucking an hour in this weird valley that I'm shooting across. Now I'm uh, as soon as I eject that area, now it's going back to another elevation change, which done again changes the barometric pressure and shifts that point of impact again, maybe a quarter inch to the right. Okay, I that's the importance I think of having somebody that is downrange from where you are as the shooter to give you real time. Or am I wrong? So I'm curious with Trey and the sense of what did he definitely change things for not just SF deeds, but infantry deeds overseas and particularly like a place like Afghanistan where you're dealing with similar terrain. Mm-hmm. That's where, I, that's where Jackson, I was going with this. Jackson, can you throw that question one more time? Just cause I'm a dumb. You're not dumb. <laughs> yeah. I'll have a dumb too. <laughs> Let's see if I can repeat it. So what did you learn out in I- or Idaho that was different than what you'd previously known that you think could have exponentially changed how people shot in high-range environments or high-altitude environments like Afghanistan was? Like, I'm really curious to that. Because we did a lot of factoring in with elevation change and all of that good jazz, but 
it's from the sounds of it with your experience and the things that you weren't there's more to it that could have been implemented that would have made these a lot more effective over there so unfortunately i think that i'm going to disagree with you on the end of it that says that they will be more effective yeah okay so maybe they would have some understanding so they I, can I'm totally okay <laughs> yeah so they could probably gain some experience and then through that be more effective um yeah but it's not rocket surgery at all heads up tails down so if you're in a headwind uh, you have to hold over if you're in a tailwind you have to hold under um, and that's just elevation stuff. What uh, Dan was talking about as far as yeah. like barometric pressure and temperatures and all that stuff, they do cause an effect on stuff, but they're fairly light, to be honest. Okay. Um, so they have less effect than you think they do. All right. No, that's good. Yep. So essentially, once you get... Uh, a, yeah. No. Yeah. Once you get a decent zero and a decent muzzle velocity, you can be off some... Um, and this kind of follows into like the previous topic that we that we were kind of hitting on was how do you be more effective as a something? Essentially, you mess with that zero range, right? So I've got I've got a particular bullet. I've got a seventy-seven grain bullet. It's going X Y Z miles an hour or or uh, feet per second. If I want it to line up with my Vortex BDC, I just change the zero range. So, so is that cold cold war? Oh, okay. Here's here's a good question, right? Because everyone talks about cold bore, right? It's a thing. It is, and it is a thing because yeah. after you've fired, it's almost it's probably like more of four hundred, five hundred rounds. Bore, but... It's it's an exponentially amount of rounds that you fire through a barrel before it finally heats up to affect that impact. So that's that's a uh, that's a speed thing. <clears throat> So it's a muzzle velocity thing. So there's a certain, like, it's all heat and pressure, mm -hmm. which makes sense. Um, but uh, that is a uh, kind of a speed thing. So metal is really tight when it comes off the press. And then through a little bit of heat and pressure, it changes a little bit. And that the metal wears away some. And so then that changes the velocity that it exits the barrel. Mm -hmm. So say you've fired 10,000 rounds for this uh, whatever barrel. Say it's a uh, Remington 700, just for example. That barrel's probably done. So you should get a new barrel. <laughs> okay. So if if we're if we're talking if we're talking about a 308, you might make it to 10,000 rounds. Oh. Yeah. If we're talking 556, five, probably around 5,000 rounds. Okay. If we're talking like a six Creed yeah. or something a little more specific, where it has a little bit more heat and pressure, a little more velocity, like in the 3,000 feet per second, we're talking more like 1,200 rounds. Okay. Or a Magnum, like a 300 wind mag. Okay. Yep. No, these are good. These are good things for like yep. our listeners are gonna love this shit. <laughs> this this is nerd shit. They're gonna be like. Yeah. I mean, you can get 10,000 rounds out of a 308, but um, your so, effectiveness is gonna go down after that. Debatable. Uh, not a hundred percent, but the way that it, and I just learned this uh, in March of this year. The actual why to this mm -hmm. is that, <clears throat> so. Obviously, with heat and pressure, it changes metal, um, but that metal does some like cracking, and this is going to be in the throat area, and this area is where the bullet exits the case, doesn't touch the barrel, but enters the lands. Oh, okay, so okay, that's so the it's that's called a, a jump. specific the area yep. of the rifle. Yep, it's it's called the jump. So as right, it jumps called, out of the barrel, as it jumps out of the case. 
oh. into the lands, which yeah. are the rifling. Okay. It doesn't touch metal. Yeah. That's interesting. Right. So as it gets in that huh. area, so that area that is called the throat, uh, <clears throat> that area, because of the heat and pressure, can get cracked. Those cracks leave different formations on the jacketing of the bullet. God damn, that's sexy. All right. So that I got a hard on thinking about that. That changes what they call the ballistic coefficient. The ballistic coefficient is essentially how how aerodynamic that thing is. All us nerds know that. I say nerds, but I mean the gun enthusiasts. I'm going to be honest. As much as I know guns and I know how the Kentucky Winders lick my finger and Kentucky Winders is a thing, man. I love it. I got to (laughs) say. When Trey and Jackson talk, it's like instant, instant. I'm just like, you know what? Just fucking keep talking. And then sometimes I'm like, Dan, just shut up and let them talk. Shut up and let them talk. I'm so close and you ruin it every time. I can't take any credit for this. I mean, I was sitting in front of Brian Litz, so I mean, I can't take any credit for this. That's good. I I love this shit. This shit is good. My question is, I have have for Trey, so I and the infantry, we talked about MOA a lot, and we've got like the real basics of it of like one minute of angle at 100 meters equals one inch. But like, could you really break it down from someone who probably, who one, teaches it, and then two, understands it probably a lot more than the average person, even somebody who, who shoots for a living, of, of what this minute of angle language equates to so that people can understand it? Uh, well, probably not better than you just did. I mean, it's one inch per hundred. Oh, well. Gener- generally <laughs> generally speaking, it's one inch it. per hundred. However, what I would say is what I just learned last week is that even guys that are fairly decent at it, and let's just say I'm fairly decent at it, but I'm not saying that. Um, yeah. When you get into a, a version of a position... Um, that isn't something very stable like zeroing in the prone or off of a bench, you're probably the best a three-minute shooter. And we're talking about like some of the best shooters in the world. So at, uh, at 100 meters, we're talking about a three-inch group. Um, and so if you want to apply that out to five, 600, so 500, we're talking 15 inches, 600, we're talking uh, 18 inches. You know, so if you want to be, if you want to try and classify yourself as a good shooter, if you can go anywhere under three minutes of angle at any version of range, you're probably crushing it. I got a broner. <laughs> so you're saying with that, a, a lot of infantry dudes who probably really try the ones that really try to understand minute of angle and, and that aspect of shooting, they're probably way harder on themselves than they need to be. Is that is that what you're getting at? Uh, no. Um, because I used to beat myself up if if I if I was outside of of two two to three minutes, friend, I would start getting. What is your effective range? That's where we're going to go back to, right? No, no. Unfortunately, what we got going on well, with this one I, is I guess, but this... Jackson. So unfortunately, the thing that the army doesn't tell you is that the M4 or the M16 or whatever it is no. that you're qualifying on is um, a four-minute of angle requirement yeah. gun. The ammo that you're shooting is a three-minute oh. of angle requirement gun. And so when we get bullets touching, it's kind of um, uh, a one-off. And not only... Luck. The, yep, kind of luck. <laughs> luck. But we hold ourselves to that standard. 
Um, so it kind of depends on the equipment that we're dealing yeah. with. And then at the other end of the, the spectrum, or not the other end, but it's hard to tell people. I Actually, we don't even introduce it in the course because it gives um, uh, space for excuses, is that given any type of stuff, so let's call it the best gun in the world, the best shooter in the world, the best ammo in the world, all put them together. At any given point, there's a 30% dispersion just based on statistics. Right? So let's say... So even if I'm shooting out of a nice McMillan stock, whatever fucking top of the line... Shoot 100 five-round groups, and you're going to be 30% bigger or smaller. God damn. And it's in a perfect environment. That's perfectly done. What did you say, Jackson? I kind of have an idea, but like... I I I want to know your aspect on it. Is that why the army really went from a three shot group to a five shot group with your grouping and your zeroing on the M4 specifically? Uh, to be honest, I don't know, bro. Is that because you know? I think it is. I think it. I think it's no. This is where I think this is a nerd. No, this is why I think it's a nerd thing because in in nerd world, which I live in. Three out of five is good. No, it's not. No, in nerd world, right? So when you have packets that are sent across a domain, they look for a three out of five, and they say it's okay. So, so the shot group. Questionably the best statistician cross, uh, what do you want to call it, like, Ballistics guy Brian Litz says five round groups are the standard. Yeah, that's what he says. No, it makes sense. Are the standard? This is the okay. standard. Yeah. yeah, five round groups are the standard. I think five is the best when you do in metrics on anything. Now, don't get me and wrong. And you can multiply that out. I'm zeroing happy. my gun. I, it doesn't take me five rounds to zero my gun. No, it takes me two. I'm like, okay, I touch two bullets. Yeah, the gun zero. Yeah, it's done. Usually, uh, it's yeah. pretty close. Yeah, we I'm don't done. even want to get into. We do I not. Just, I'm going to stop everybody. We do not want to get into the new zero and qual standard no, in the U.S. Nobody Army gives right a now. fuck about that. That is not a conversation. I actually, th- I actually think it's pretty dope. It no. is a good conversation to have, but it is not the conversation we want to have right now. If we want to talk about anything, we want to talk about gun, tr- gun control. And I want to hear Jackson's gun control. Yeah, big time. So... Gun control to me. My is, gun control is how tight you can keep your shock group. <laughs> I was to say the same thing as Jackson. Gun control to me is how yeah. close you can keep your shot group. And if you can't, then you should tighten your shot group. Holy shit. Yeah. That sounds so I mean, so if your simple. rounds are hitting where you want. Because, you know, the Democrats if you, if and the around- people that are in a, a position of power right now. Would say gun control is stealing your guns from you and making you weaker as a human being, so you can't oh, afflict. This, this is this, this is a this is a slight this is a slight this is a detour. this is a slight detour, but I would say <laughs> I will say this much: I am Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I approve this. We well, are doing this thing, and we are coming. We well, are pumping, and you're coming. Every time I pump iron, I am coming. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Every time I shoot a round <laughs> down the range, I am coming. <laughs> but I would think that uh, gun control is 
what we had talked about before. So safety, shot group, and storage. That to me, that is what is the importance of gun control. So what Trent, they're trying to push today is not gun control. So it is gun confiscation. But Jackson believes, Craig, this is Craig, Jackson believes obviously gun control is Tight shot group. Tight shot group. Yeah. Controlling where your shot group is. <laughs> what do you see I have a, as proper I have another opinion or on that too. effective gun control? Cool. So, you know, there's there's two. I mean, you don't know, but either way, there's kind of two ones. We can either talk about it in the political realm. <clears throat> or I don't we care can, which we, way you want to go with it. Or we can talk about it in the What do you see realm? as effective gun control? Well, well whatever you want. So in, you go with in, it. In the political realm, this People need guns to protect themselves against people that want to have uh, are tyrants. So that's pretty much a done deal there. Now, when it comes to like individual gun control, I think that that is an interesting topic because even, for example, my father, who I love to death, and I like he's probably more my friend now than he is anything else, which is wonderful. Not everybody has that relationship, and I do. Um, Congratulations, I appreciate that. Thank you. That. Yeah, no, it's a really really cool thing. But um, <clears throat> mine's so, opposite. My these, cool friend is these, my mother. There we go. These things happen. I'm friends with my mom, too. But either way, uh, we, we get into it. My mom and I get into it pretty hard. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> oh, me and mine do, too. Regardless of that. So one of the things that I noticed with, um, whether it be civilians or let's say I just noticed it inside of my dad and like his friend group and everything else, they thought that um, being comfortable with guns meant that you were lax with the rules. Okay. And, and what in, is your standpoint now? When you actually get around people that are good with guns, it's completely the opposite. If you work with people that are either tier one or somebody that actually knows how to control a gun, they're very, very strict about where their muzzle is, how they do it. They do it the same way every time. Uh, they do it by the numbers, everything else. It's not it's like rack it and let it go or point it in a different direction that you don't know where it's going at. None of that stuff happens. So it's like... It, it's kind of a dichotomy where you're like, oh, I'm comfortable with guns, I'm happy with guns, but the people that do it either for a living or that do it well, they still do that, but they do it with a very, very precise by the numbers. Okay. I want a caveat on that. Right? I'll, so, and I'll, I I'll give it. No, I, I, I want a caveat. I do too. Trent, I want to hit a middle go. ground with that though. Go ahead, and then I'm going to caveat Trent, unless so, you kill my point. So Trey, would you say that there are people? Let's let's set the parameters. On a twenty-five meter flat range, you're zeroing M4s. Are there people you would be comfortable with walking down range and checking your target while they're still shooting? One hundred percent. I would say only if they're trained people that I Fred. I understand where they're coming from and they understand muzzle awareness yeah. and everything else. I would say. That's when I yeah. would be comfortable to walk down a range with them. Because if I'm in an open range, like, say, a normal conventional civilian range, I'm not going to trust anybody yeah, else on that fucking range to there. walk down and like, move my target. Yeah. Hell fucking no. I am not trusting you to make sure yeah. you're not going to fucking shoot me in my butt cheek as I'm walking to get my target. See, That's not going to be a thing. But this is my caveat I, to both jackson and trey right mm. right coming from my standpoint as the enabler right mm. i run enough ranges oh and competitions and i have enough 
GBs to come and instruct and and do all this other stuff yeah. for these enablers to enhance their abilities, right? That when I run ranges, everybody I get people come up all the time and I Dude, your ranges are so much more chill and more people want to come to your ranges. And I'm like, it's because I have it to a standard because I have people like Trey Great. and like Jackson and like other individuals who yeah. have who have taught me these things. No, that's important. I, I I turn around and I use it to enhance right. the force. Well, I'll tell you what, guys. I yeah. appreciate everybody being on here today. Jackson, you've been a an amazing asset. Trey, I appreciate everything you brought today. Appreciate you guys. Ryan, you've had your own perspective on things. Oh, yeah. I've run my own little rabbit holes. That wraps it up for us here at Bourbon Sauce. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and share with your friends. The more you like and the better you share with your friends, the bigger chances that we can grow the channel. The algorithm loves what you do. So, check us out on our Instagram page, www.instagram.com slash bourbonsauce, where you can see clues on upcoming episodes, as well as see photos that pertain to our podcast. And you can message us there and give feedback and real-time interaction with us and see what it is we're doing on a day-to-day. Hope you come back. Until next time, enjoy your favorite beverage and get sauced. Cheers.